0: Guerrero with a fly ball well hit Opposite field, two-run homer for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And just like that, this game is tied. 1-2 and a weak ground ball to Freeman. Thought about home. Nobody's at first and everybody's safe. And the Blue Jays take the lead. The 2-1 fastball in the air to left field. It is playable. Teoscar Hernandez is there. And the Blue Jays will hang on with a very nice come from behind win in Atlanta.
1: It's off the Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the Tiger? oh man oh man oh man so we're celebrating i think we're celebrating two different things this morning zig i mean we got the leafs and the habs guaranteed to meet in the playoffs for the first time in 42 years since 1979 hit up the smashing pumpkins and we're celebrating the two-year anniversary of Kawhi's game seven Bouncing off the rim four times, buzzer beating shot to take down the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round of the NBA's Eastern Conference playoffs, which of course paved the way for the Raptors first and so far only NBA championship. Where were you? I'll tell you where I was in a minute. <laughs> where were you that night?
2: I, I yeah, well, I, I didn't go to that game, but I
1: didn't go to home. that game. I love
2: how you, but I didn't go yeah, to that I know, game. He, yeah, I go, oh, yeah, go to the odd game in the playoffs. Well, I had a stretch run where I was going like when Golden State, when the Warriors were good, I would go to a playoff game at least one every year. Like I went to a fine, like when they were in the finals, what five years in a row, I would go to a game every year. So Raptors, I feel like it was easier to get a ticket there than it was for the Raptors playoff game. But doesn't it feel I, I was just at home for that game. Like I, I wasn't out doing anything special. Um, a couple friends were over, you know, usually watching a playoff game. I know how strange that is right now to say but yeah I, I wasn't uh i wasn't out party i wasn't at the game it was i i can what I remember about it most is and just the whole run is how many non basketball fans were talking about it mm-hmm. that's usually how I gauge a lot of these big moments and Toronto sports, right? It's how many people aren't fans of the Raptors that talk about. It's the first thing, and I mean it was the buzz everywhere. The rest of that night, the rest, of, you know, the next couple of days. But how, how long ago does that feel? Oh my god, that's the crazy part. Like it, it doesn't feel like a couple of years. Like it feels like it was ten years ago.
1: I don't even think Ziggy. It feels. I, I don't even talk about it in in terms of time and how much has passed, I talk about it more now as the world was one way up until March of 2020, and the world has been a different way since. Like, the year zero, everything before that is B.C., and everything after the year zero is A.D. Like, this was the last year B.C. before covid Everything before COVID was one way. People hugging and embracing and high-fiving. Look at the, Donovan Bennett's got an awesome feature right now on Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca talking to some of the photographers who captured Kawhi's shot and the looks on different people's faces. And just everybody, everybody being totally locked in. And you see all those people stuffed together jumping up and down in unison, eyes bugged out, different world. I'm telling you right now, like AC after COVID, the very notion, we're going to have to work our way through this psychologically. Some people, it'll be easier than others, but the notion of sitting beside somebody at a sports event, it's like, are you, are your droplets getting on me? Like that's just, it's a
2: different world now. I feel like, and and the feature on the photographers is great. It's almost like, like how do you compare like I, I think it's way bigger. I don't know if it's recency bias, but the shot of Doug Gilmore with the wraparound mm. against the blues. Like, I don't know how you would compare them. For me, they're almost the same, but the Kawhi shot was so much bigger. It was so much of a it's and and if you're going to ask me, well, wh- why was it bigger? I I don't even have an answer for that. I just feel like the Kawhi, I, I'm not sure if it was the moment, the fact that your whole season is on the line and you're you're going to say, well, the Doug Gilmore wraparound goal was wh- one of the biggest playoff goals in Leaf history. And I'm, I'll say, yeah, like I'm not going to deny that. But the Kawhi shot, I just think Raptors, OT, Game 7, um, you know, I just, it, I know it's a different time and the Doug Gilmore well, thing wasn't over. I, I know it wasn't an overtime, the Kawhi, but it's like the game's on the lo- line. I just feel like they're too, I feel like the Kawhi shot was so much bigger. Well, um, I can, and I I don't can know tell it's... you why Ziggy
1: it because they ultimately won the, won the championship.
2: That that's, yeah. that's
1: a big part of it. And yeah, it was I game just... seven Gilmore's wraparound against St. Louis was game one of that series.
2: Yeah. I just, if you, that's like the comparison for the Leafs are, and you want a photographer's point of view or images from like, what do you remember? And that's just, it's a poster I had on my wall as a kid. So it was a big moment for, for myself. But the Kawhi thing, it's almost like the photo, the photograph of him watching the ball in the air was, you know. It's almost like the f- the photograph of it was bigger than the moment. I don't know how crazy well, that is down, to say. He's down into a squat, right? And his yeah, eyes the, are the bugged team. Out. It, everybody on the team, the fans. It's like I, I I feel like the photograph took on a life of its own. So when you want to compare that to the Doug wrap wraparound, yeah, I think it's I think the the picture says a lot more. And it's almost like it it took on a life of its own. And and the Donovan Bennett special, I think's. You know, it, it was it was great, and to hear the perspective of of guys that were there because they're always trying to figure out what's the best angle. How do I capture that moment? And not only did they capture it, I just I think it's it's one of those shots in in sports history. Not just you know, not just in Toronto. People I know in different cities talk about the Kawhi shot. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just because I I
1: keep going back. Some of the biggest. Moments in the history of Toronto professional sports. And we've got to acknowledge that we date ourselves back to the mid-1980s. We don't have memories of the Maple Leafs, Stanley Cups, and all of that. So in our lifetimes, because you and I are not far off from being the same age, the Roberto Elomar home run in Oakland in the American League Championship Series, Game 4 against the A's, was a massive moment. But it didn't clinch a series, number one. And number two, it didn't end a game. You can't walk off, win a baseball game when you're on the road, right? The home team hits last, regardless of the situation. So there was still more baseball to be played that day. Then you've got the Doug Gilmore wraparound, which didn't clinch a series, And came immediately on the heels of the previous game the Leafs had played, the Nikolai Boroshevsky tip-in of the Bob Rouse point shot to win the series in Detroit. And if you're if you were alive then and you are old enough to remember, the Toronto Maple Leafs apparently didn't have a chance to win that series against Detroit. Like that was not that was a Detroit team on the upswing, which obviously was proven out through the rest of the 1990s. The Leafs were not supposed to have a shot, so the Borshevsky goal is big. it was a clincher. The Gilmore wraparound was big, but it wasn't a clincher. it, it was it was game one.
2: I, yeah I, I yeah but here's the th- yeah, but here's the thing I'll just before I forget those two those times with the Jays and the Leafs, people wanted them to win, and it wasn't like they they were underdogs in a sense but people and fans wanted them to win the Raptors. Nobody wants the Raptors to win in the, in the NBA. No, nobody. It's not like they're not some small market team where people are rooting for yeah, it's a Toronto, it's
1: a Toronto versus everybody sweaters.
2: It is. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. And that's, and that's like a good, and that's a good point. You just brought up on how those, when you, those times of the Jays and Leafs were a lot different than 2019 Raptors. Nobody wanted the Raptors to win. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I
1: don't know if the Americans were all that enthralled with the Jays back in the early 90s either. I mean, they flew our flag upside down before game one of the 92 World Series in Atlanta, and the announcers were clearly biased and and, and all of that stuff. But I I take your point. The bat flip, Jose, that wasn't a series-clinching home run in 2015, but it it pretty much was because it gave them a three-run lead in the seventh inning of the deciding game. They had six outs to get. With the lead, the Encarnacion walk off to win the wild card game in 2016 was another big one. And people are texting in saying, "Hey, moron, Joe Carter." Well, I was saving Joe Carter for last because Joe Carter's walk off home run in the last. And I I I don't want to offend if you're you're 70 or an 80 year old listener and you can remember Big Dave Keon or Maple Leafs moments or Frank Mahovlich or whatever. I'm not going to diss that. I just I just don't remember them. The Joe Carter walk-off home run is the biggest moment in Toronto. Pro- I'm talking about moment. I'm not talking about series of events. Singular moment. The biggest singular moment in Toronto professional sports history in the last half century. And the reason is is that there have only been two walk-off home runs to win World Series ever, ever, 1960 and 1993. And Joe had one of them. It happened in our city, in our stadium. And, and so that is a differentiator there. The most dramatic
2: way that you can
1: walk off a baseball game
2: to win, jump. to win baseball's title. The jump, I, I I mean that's what I remember. Yeah, like it just there was no photograph of Joe hitting it that that compares to the Kawhi. I don't know. I know how big that is, and it's only happened twice. But the Kawhi shot, I don't. It, like I said, I feel like the, like the photograph and Kawhi in the corner. It's just it's it's I don't know why it's even bigger than than Joe hitting a walk off homer to win it. It's crazy. Well, it see if,
1: if if Kawhi's shot wins them the NBA title. If he drains that, say in the seventh game of the NBA Finals, and that's it, then then we're then we're having that conversation. I and I am is when we debate lists and and who's better than who. I I always say we're not diminishing one person by suggesting another was a little better. I'm not diminishing Kawhi's moment. By suggesting that Joe Carter's was better, because it ended the World Series, we would take texts on this. To five ninety five ninety, you can tweet us at Scotty Mac thinks of Mike Zingamannis. I say Joe Carter's walk off is the biggest moment in the last half century in Toronto professional sports.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: you yeah. say it's Kawhi. I just say it's yeah, Kawhi. it's and I say cause it's <laughs> it, it, it's it's recency bias a little bit and it. I don't know. It was it was such a big it was such a big moment. I, I and I know I'm not taking anything away from Joe Carter and Money the no World Series. They're not exactly easy to come by either. But here's another thing, Zig: the
1: fact that we're talking about a Toronto Blue Jay and a Toronto Raptor as producing two of the biggest moments in the last half century tells us something, because the oldest. Of the big four, I want to be very clear because the Toronto Argonauts are the oldest professional sports team in this city. The oldest professional sports team out of the big four that we've got in this city, the Toronto Maple Leafs, have not produced. They produced great moments. Doug Gilmore's wraparound in game one against St. Louis of the Norris division final. Borshevsky prior to that, the overtime winner. There were some big moments in the playoffs in the Sundin era somebody might text in Gary Volk for example in in game six against Pittsburgh in 1999 there's more that was Sergey Berezin in Philadelphia in game six of the first round in yeah. 1999 like a lot of things can be I mean, discussed but the fact that a Toronto Maple Leaf isn't at the tip of our tongue for the biggest moment the question is, when is that going to change and could that change at some point here within the next couple of months? Well,
2: yeah, I am I was just going to say there's going to be a big moment in, in these playoffs where we're going to compare something to what's happened. But I have this feeling that as big of a moment that might come, the fact that there are no fans will affect how we relive our sports moments. And the reason I'm going to say that, and you bring up the Joe Carter home run, how many fans are watching the game? And like, like at that time of the ball game, how many fans are actually in that moment? I'm talking about not drinking their beer, not having their popcorn, not talking to the person next to them, not on their phone. When Kawhi hit his shot, that's 20,000 people not doing anything else. And wow. I feel like with Joe Carter, 50,000 people, I'm going to say that in I'm not, uh, that's the difference between baseball and in a situation like with basketball, how you have half the fans in the seats. So I think there's a different element to when, and that's, maybe that's why I think the Kawhi shot was so big. Like when Doug Gilmore... Had the wraparound. Was that a big moment? Was everybody watching? Sure, people were excited. It was a big goal. But the Kawhi shot, nobody was doing anything else. And and if you talk to people that were at the game, everything stopped. There was nothing else going on for those 20,000 people and maybe that's what it has well, to Well let,
1: with let me jump to the defense of the 48 or 50,000 inside what was then <laughs> Skydome that night because I'm I'm fortunate enough to say that I was one of them. Now I was I was 14 years old so I wasn't drinking beer. <laughs> but I was you weren't on a cell oh, what phone a yeah what, what a loser yeah yeah
2: you weren't on a cell phone you no know, I you was not talking. I was not on a
1: cell phone in, in October of 1993 I absolutely was not on a cell phone oh, in 19- a loser. Yeah. I mean I would have like, had I've to been, bring I've my been, phone been, booth been, in to fit the damn thing in. like yeah. I've
2: been to games with when when they're when they've gone to extra innings I've gone to non-blue jays games In the U S where I've gone to wild card games and playoff games and where every pitch matters, but people are sitting there having a good
1: time, but nobody I'm telling you right now, I was there. We were all standing up and I, my dude, I can tell you right now with clear memory, like my favorite number is 20. Don't ask me why it just always has been. And I would clap 20 times in between pitches that's what i was doing <laughs> okay so you're
2: so, you're one of the you're one
1: of the half that's no di- like dialed that in. that place everybody was i was standing because i needed to see that yeah. entire building especially once uh the jays got a couple of base runners on and i think i think paul molitor had come up and gotten a base hit before carter which put two on if i'm not mistaken with one out and the Jays were down a run. So it was a three-run home run to win the game. So they ended up winning by two on the walk-off homer. But I, we, were, we were all standing. And the other thing I remember, because it was kind of a frozen rope home run from Joe Carter, is that looking toward home plate with a full view of the third baseline, you got everybody in their white or different colored shirts the ball was a frozen rope, it didn't have any rainbow arc to it. So the moment it left Joe Carter's bat, I lost the ball in 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 the ether. I couldn't I couldn't see. There were it was the backdrop was people's white shirts. I think they'd handed out white t-shirts that night too. So I couldn't see the baseball and everybody was standing, and then the moment I saw people over on the other side of the stadium start jumping because they saw the ball clear the fence, that's when everybody in my section, way the hell down the right field line, started to freak out. And then it was a party. It was a crazy, crazy experience. Yeah. As I would imagine, it would have been to be in Scotiabank Arena that night two years ago tonight.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that's just that. That that's something that like, I obviously you were there, I wasn't but I've been to a lot of big baseball games and a lot of big moments. And from what I heard about being in Scotiabank for that shot, it was just, it was different than people that were there than any other sporting event. They said they've been to that's something I remember. And, and that, that could be something right. Like, and I'm not saying people that were there at the Joe Carter you know were there for for that World Series when people weren't excited yeah it was it was electric in there. When I watch, you know old tape of that game, it would have been awesome to go to that you know would have been awesome as a kid to be there and like yeah, i think I, I think you have to be about thirty five years old,
1: born in eighty five or eighty six to have a a really good memory of the Carter home run because mm-hmm. you would have been seven or eight at that time, right before yeah. that you're a little, you're a little too young. So I think if you're younger than 34 or 35 right now, the Kawhi moment is, is the biggest moment. And the Jose bat flip would come into the equation and the Encarnacion walk off to win the 2016 wildcard game against Baltimore would come in behind those two things. For sure. I have, I have absolutely no doubt. And I, I rank Kawhi's shot way, way up there for me. In, in my near four-decade history watching pro sports in this city and rooting for the for the local teams, it's way, way up there. It's, it's, it's beneath Joe Carter because everything is beneath Joe Carter, but I think it's above every Leafs moment. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really yeah. is. And so you wonder to yourself, as we find out late last night that the Leafs, in fact, are going to play the Habs in the first round of the playoffs, is an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner Or a heaven forbid, and wouldn't this just be the most wonderful thing?
2: A William Nylander moment. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, that would be. I just just don't think. I don't think we're gonna have the same moments without fans in the arena. It's gonna change the whole complex of the of a playoff and how big the moments are. I I I really do. Um. So. if no the, matter how big if the goal Leaves is, win, if no, the, no win one there, the cup this year, you're going to feel less
1: about it because nobody was in I the arena. Felt,
2: I felt less about the bubble last year. If you ask most people, except for the guys that were on the ice, I think a lot. I mean, you talk to friends in Tampa, um, you know, obviously they got to celebrate a little bit after with them and it was a big moment, but you want to talk about big moments and capturing things the fans and the atmosphere in the arena make up a lot of the game. I've been out there. I can tell you. When there, I've played in Phoenix in front of 7,000 people. And I've played on Saturday night in Toronto on Hockey Night in Canada. And there's a different feel to these games. So is there a different feel when no one's there? Absolutely. For sure there is. And the players can feel it too. The, the players, they want to play and they want to go out there. And a lot of guys get up for it. Listen to different guys talk. You won't hear them complain about it right now, but I, I'll tell you, as the summer rolls through next year, when fans start going back in, you're going to hear guys say, I really struggled to get up for a lot of games because I didn't realize how much. Fun. Roy McIlroy just said about it on the PGA Tour, and that's with a couple lines of people versus a handful of people at the game. That's that's mostly a, a, a game that's it's all about the broadcast, right? It's not so much about... And I I agree with that 100%,
1: but you're also out there competing, right? Rory won last weekend. The Maple Leafs, like every other team, I I know some American teams are allowing people in at certain percentages of of capacity, but the Maple Leafs, certainly like every other North Division, Canadian-based division team, have dealt with the same circumstances. And I'm looking at the standings, and I'm seeing a Maple Leafs team so far that's won 35 of its 54 games. 35-13-6, and the Oilers are the only team remotely close to knocking on the Maple Leafs door, and everybody else hasn't come anywhere close. So whatever issues are tied to that, the Leafs have managed them relative to their competition in the North Division very, very well this season. And if they win the Stanley Cup this year, and we're not making that prediction today. We'll make our predictions before the playoffs start next week. It doesn't diminish the accomplishment. It might,
2: I'm not, it, yeah, it I'm might not.
1: limit the party, but yeah. it doesn't
2: diminish the accomplishment. I'm, I'm saying, like, imagine Kawhi hits that shot and no one's there at the game. I think it changes the Kawhi shot. If Joe Carter hits that home run yes, and there's it, not fifty thousand people there, sure, it's different. Changes that's, the vibe, the like, energy. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And and I, I'm this is from people that were at that game when Kawhi hit it, the game seven. I'm just, I I wish I was there to feel it and give you an idea, but from what they said, that's the difference. Is that everybody was on the edge of their seat. Not one person. Like I I had multiple friends that were watching that live. And they said it's like nothing they've been to. They've been a lot of big sporting events and nothing compared to how how people were dialed in for that exact moment. Well, Austin Matthews probably going to score a big overtime winner at
1: some point in the playoffs. And all you're going to hear in this city is the noise of people banging on glass as they're slamming on their windows to let their neighbors know that they're celebrating. (laughs) (laughs) And like one or two car horns going down the Gardner Expressway. One or two cars that are actually on the road at, at that time. Uh, two years ago tonight, Kawhi Leonard shot to beat the 76ers and advance the Raptors into the Eastern Conference Final. And, you know, history is a funny thing. Sometimes we 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 don't remember the details exactly. It wasn't exactly a swimming start to that Eastern Final against Milwaukee. Like they they had to come from behind and win that thing after dropping the first two games in Wisconsin. Uh, the Blue Jays get a huge, huge win last night. That was a really satisfying win. We'll touch on that. And the Leafs are back in action tonight. They got two regular season games left. They've won the North Division. They know who their first-round opponent is going to be. It's going to be Montreal. We promised you yesterday we'll discuss some of the things that we're scared of. Now that we know the opponent, what scares us about the Montreal Canadiens. Siggy has begun to touch on it. We'll get into that. Coming up. <laughs> Into five ninety five ninety, Leslie and Scarborough, Scotty. You're missing Ziggy's point. No matter how far the Leafs go, what will it feel like for us fans? Hmm? Telling you, I'm telling you it's, right now. I'm telling, telling you, it's not the same. Well, it's not going to be the same coming through our TV without eighteen thousand fans either cheering or booing, right? But I'm willing to say that the large majority of us. Don't get to go to playoff games. Now, we can feed off of the energy and feel it coming through our TVs or our radios when there's crowd reaction to what's going on. But I'm telling you right now, Zig, I've waited a lifetime. You've waited a lifetime. A lot, a lot of people have waited a lifetime. My dad's generation, they were teenagers the last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup. If you told me right now that this year is going to be the year and there will never be another one again, I would take it. Atmosphere or no atmosphere. I want the Toronto Maple Leafs to hoist the Stanley Cup. That's... I mean, if if, if this is the best case scenario for them, then go do it, baby. Kyle Dubas thought so. He got active at the deadline, right? They're going for it.
2: Yeah, I, I'm... I'm- I'm on, I'm on board with going for it this year. Fans, no fans. Like, I I don't think that that's not going to stop many teams. I think it does. I think you have to consider it. If you're not playing at home, like the Raptors, I think you have to consider going for it or not. If you're in Tampa and there's limited fans, you're not in your, you know, I think if you're the Jays, but for the Leafs, they're at home. Um, who knows if there's fans at games in the playoffs. I mean, we're we're sitting here making all these, you know, predictions and what it would feel like. How do we know there's not going to be any fans come playoffs second round? Maybe there is limited seating. I don't know. I'm Leafs. trying to be optimistic here. <laughs> Leafs, Leafs and whoever tied three, three,
1: and all of a sudden the golf course is open and there's, there's a capacity limit (laughs) at Scotiabank arena. Just, we wake up one morning and boom, there it is.
2: You never know. I'm (laughs) telling you, you don't know. Who knows? I mean, so what are you like? What are you for? Like, what do you think the odds are of, of fans? Zero? Like no, zero fans. No, I'm, I'm
1: not saying, I'm not, I'm not even making a prediction on that because I, I think, I think we've all, I think we've all thought this pandemic was going in certain directions at different times. And then we've allowed ourselves to be disappointed when it's spiraled back out of control or it's been tough to limit transmission and there are variants now and all of that so if you told me as the weather gets better and we're all able to be outside a little bit more and we're not quite cooped up if you told me that it's good and and the vaccinations are obviously happening at a much higher rate now if you told me that things are significantly better in july i'd believe you and if you told me we're still in for a couple of hiccups i'd also believe that i i just don't think that there's there's any way to know right now. So what's my degree of optimism? I've been burned enough times, uh, as I think we all have in the last 14 months, that making a prediction, A, would be blind, and B, would be setting the
2: self up for disappointment. That That's because, where I'm at with it. Because we're not allowed to be outside right now on a basketball court or tennis court, but I'm talking about going into a, a <laughs> jammed building with 20,000 – well, not 20,000 – uh, you know, maybe they let in 5,000 frontline workers, healthcare workers, and they get to enjoy the playoff games. I think that would be, they deserve, I think that it. would be a nice touch. Oh, yeah, God, absolutely. Do they deserve
1: absolutely. a little bit of joy in their lives, uh, for all of the work that they've done. Uh shout out to the frontline workers. It means almost mm-hmm. nothing coming from our mouths, but, yeah. uh, especially with everything they've been through, but, but absolutely.
2: Freddie Anderson's going to play tonight. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? Not excited? Where I, are you right now? Like, oh. where, are your feel, where are your feelings? I know we talk about it a lot and this, how many games, but when you actually hear the news, are you, what's uh, what I'm curious for you is like, what's the first thought going through your mind? Like how many goals is he going to let in? What's he going to look like? If he plays well, does he start? Like, what are you, what's your See, first if this, thing? If like, this, or, oh no. If this
1: was <laughs> a weekend game, and I didn't have to watch it live, and I could watch it later, before coming into work the next day. I would record it and watch it later, and just live off of our group chat to see how Silent Vic is responding. But we got to watch it tonight so we can talk about it tomorrow morning. And yeah. there's not so that, but I, I want to live somehow, some way, vicariously through Silent Vic on this one. I yeah. listen, I. I think we both have remained consistent with the point of view that Freddie is, was, somehow going to be a consequential figure in this playoff run for the Maple Leafs. Somehow, some way, he's going to end up factoring in. And I hope it's for the right reasons and not negative reasons like Jack Campbell gets injured or Jack has a couple of bad games and they've got to pivot. But this is the start of that. It does feel, and you would know this because haven't played Ziggy. Like it, it feels like Frederick Anderson is just being dropped into this. It, it, it's like the puppeteer is dropping him back into the scene after lifting him out for the last two months. And it's not just, it's not just the injury and the fact that he really hasn't been around. It's he's an impending UFA, so this. This feels like it's it. And how much is he going to play in the playoffs? If at all, we both think that he's going to play a little bit. How's he going to play when he gets that opportunity? And then poof, he could be wearing another uniform next year. This is the
2: weirdest. It's just kind of a weird vibe around. I'm wondering, I'm wondering for me, I'm wondering what the temperature and situation in the room is going to be like. I just, I've seen situations like this happen before. Okay, but think of the personalities involved.
1: Like Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell could have a manure truck backed up on top of him, and he'd walk right out of the pile and be like, it's a gorgeous day outside. Like, I I don't think that guy has ever negatively disrupted
2: anyone else. What did I tell you? You have two goaltenders. You either have the heart surgeon or you have the comedian. They're one. The best goaltenders I played with are one or the other. You think Freddie's a heart Mr. surgeon? S- yep, Mister S- the brain surgeon, or okay, the brain surgeon. All right. Well, is there a difference between a brain surgeon and a heart surgeon? Yes, like, one works pretty, on the brain and one works on the heart. Yeah. Well, other they're both that. they're both pretty important. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of of our organs, those are two like of the more important are, ones. Like yeah. Nothing against foot surgeons or toe doctors, like one of my buddies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing against livers, but yeah, <laughs> they, they
1: can regenerate.
2: You only got Anyways, one brain. You only
1: yeah. Okay.
2: If you had to take two surgeons, heart and brain, like okay, whatever surgeon you want to input in that sentence. Okay, so your goal, your starting goaltender has to be has to be the brain surgeon. Or they have to be the comedian, the guy that's always happy, joking around, tapping guys during play, making fun of the ref. Freddie Anderson doesn't talk to the refs, he doesn't joke around before the games, and it's all business. And I don't mind either way. I've had both. Um, Flurry in in Vegas, played with him in in Pittsburgh. He would I would classify him as like the comedian, and it's not a guy that jokes around, or it's not it's not a guy that's. It isn't focused. That has nothing to do with it or constant. He's not, you know, his concentration is off before a game. They're all of that. They just keep things loose. And then uh, I've, I've on the other side of it, I've played with the majority of goaltenders who they're the brain surgeon where they go out they're They're Freddie Anderson. Like you don't hear a lot in media scrums. They don't joke around with, you know, in, in any of their interviews, you don't see them in that light, like you don't see as much pers- Like, do we know anything about Freddie Anderson? How long has he been here? What do we know about him? Nothing. And that's what I mean, right?
1: Yeah, we know so that I'm he's just... tight with Austin and a few of the other guys. We've seen These Instagram photos. We've seen Instagram photos at Fenway Park and different places but in the other season. But you're not right. A lot, yeah, we though. don't
2: know a lot about his life. The fact that he's friends with Matthews, I think matters. It matters who you're friends with and which guys on the team. Depends what groups you're in. I- and that's a whole other conversation with, you know, I I talk to you a lot about when you're a guy trying to make a team, it's half how good you are half, how well you, you mesh with the vets in a sense, but with Freddie, if he's friends with the best player on the team, I think it does matter. I think it, I think if you're a coach, you know, you know that, you know, the main relationships on a team and I I think in this situation with the Leafs, some of that plays, but not as much. Like, this is your starting goaltender. I think the Leafs need Freddie Anderson. I know everyone's ready to move on from him. I I really do believe they're going to need him at some point during the playoffs. I hope Jack Campbell plays great. I hope he starts game one. Like, he's deserved that chance. But I've always been pro-Freddy, especially on this Leafs team. The hard part for me, and maybe it's something Freddie Anderson never gets over, is winning in the playoffs and letting in that odd goal where you just you're just kind of like, gosh, that's the those are the killer goals that sink a team, and he may never lose those. Like that might just be part of his game, and it's. if, if, the it, is, is if hard, it is part of his the game if it, is hard.
1: Yes, and if it is part of his game, Ziggy, and it happens again this year, then it's a formality. Look at a he's guy out. like he's gone. Look, at,
2: look how good of a, like a guy like Roberto Luongo. Like how good was he? A Ryan Miller that just retired. You know how good these. You know how good those goaltenders are. They just had all a hard time for a lot of years. Vancouver's still paying Luongo's con, still in the payroll. Like it's. And it's not, and it's like when we talk about even players, guys that that don't win that had great careers, you know, Marlowe, Thornton, um, Dion. Like, there's so many greats, Roenick, guys that 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 never won, but it doesn't take anything away from their game. But I will say, like a guy like Stevie Eisman, Stevie Iserman, and I I keep harping on this, was never that guy until he won. He was always going to be a great player. But when you talk about him after he goes the whole, he goes the distance, things change.
1: Blue Jays with a big win last night in Atlanta, getting that series off on the right foot. It didn't look like it was headed for victory in the first half of the ball game. We'll get into some of the key moments and key participants of that game. Guys who gave the Blue Jays a chance to win last night. And the Raptors, slowly but surely, now that the death knell, has been put into their season, slowly but surely are getting publicly honest about their experience down in Florida. We'll touch on that next.
4: Your lead on with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. (laughs)
1: La Freak by Chic. This was number three on the Billboard charts in 1979. The last time the Leafs and Les Canadiens met in the playoff. 1979. Good year. You know, not everybody feels a certain way about Florida.
4: Florida. We love Florida.
1: I can tell you right now... As the Raptors, who've been formally eliminated from NBA, playoff play in, play whatever contention, Freddie Van Vliet on missing Toronto.
2: I miss everything about Toronto. It just feels better. It feels safer. It feels fresher, cleaner. Um, grocery
5: stores are better. The food is better. The people are nicer.
1: So I don't know if he said this, but is he implying that Tampa is dangerous, dirty, and the food sucks? And the people are jerks.
2: Yeah, I, I, (laughs) you know what? I, I've never, I've never spent any time in Tampa. Played there a lot, but it was go in, get out, dinner, wake up, practice, hotel,
1: play, plane, home. My experience, my experience down there. Now I'm not living down there in a pandemic. I've lived there for five to six weeks at a time covering spring training it's always been pretty positive. There are some different cats down there. And I told you the story in Bradenton out front of the Pirates Stadium where there's a sign that says guns and baseball parking. You can park for the baseball game at the gun store. I don't think anything says Florida better than that unless you handed somebody a grapefruit. Here's Chris Boucher. Maybe when I leave,
6: <laughs> I go back to Toronto. I'll be good. Because honestly, I miss Toronto, like the food and everything been rough. I'm not saying it wasn't a good way. They did everything for us. Like I said, the setup and everything was great, but it ain't Toronto.
1: Boucher saying maybe when I leave, he was asked what his favorite memory of Tampa and Florida is.
2: Guys are used to when you're used to a city, doesn't matter where it is. That's it for you. Like I said, I'm sure they live differently than everybody else does in Florida. I'm sure like any sports any professional sports athlete. I know we see pictures of people at concerts and bars and they're not living that life. That's not the, it's not the same for everyone. All pro, all pro athletes are not, <laughs> they're not, I'm not saying they have life harder than everyone, but it's not as extravagant and they're not going out. Not Not the majority of them, not the responsible players. They're, in their rooms for the most part, whether it's a condo, they're with their families in their house. They're not going out for all these dinners. They're not having going to parties and stuff. It's, it's different than the way things used to be. And I'm sure, you know, I mean, we just heard grocery stores and food, like food's a big part of life and guys are used to the setup in Toronto and being down in Tampa. Things are going to be different. I I get it. I, I understand what they're saying, but they're not living the same. They're not living how we think they're living out and about in Florida, roaming around malls. Like, I, I don't think, I think there's serious restrictions on what players can do. Either they're league mandated or they're internal with the organization.
1: We'll get more into the Raptors situation. They lose to the Clippers last night down in Tampa. So they're just simply playing out the spring, the string in the spring. We got the Leafs and the senators tonight in Ottawa, special edition of hockey night in Canada. Frederick Anderson will play for the first time in almost two months at the NHL level. The Leafs and the Habs are locked in as the 1-4 North Division matchup in the first round. Hugh will jump in for the panel, and maybe we'll have to start mulling over our playoff bet. We're going to bring the CN Tower situation back up. A couple guys who are scared of heights. And the Toronto Blue Jays get a big win in Atlanta. Did they do wrong by Nate Pearson demoting him to the minor leagues after that one tough start on Sunday in Houston? Who's in the wrong here? We'll discuss that coming up. Again, every time I hear this song, love it. The Pumpkins, 1979. We're not just here celebrating my birth year today, by the way. It was a good year. Very good year. I was uh, minus two and a half months old <laughs> the last time the Leafs and Canadians played in the playoffs.
5: Ziggy, how old were you? <laughs> minus minus <laughs> Minus one and a half? Minus <laughs> Something like that. How old were you, Hugh? I was uh, 10. So you remember I do. that annoying result. I, I, I do, but I more remember the final uh, against the Rangers, or the Rangers took game one, and the Habs won four straight. Um, That's nice. Yeah, I, I was just watching. I had I had audio of it in my last update. Uh, Larry Robinson scoring in overtime. It, it's just so weird to go back and look at those highlights. <laughs> so there's there's nothing on the boards. Nobody's was, wearing helmets, no, or or only a small few. Yeah, it, it was a Maple Leaf Gardens where all they had was like the the maple leaf with the hole in the in the center at center ice, and like that is it. But uh, yeah. It, it, this is fantastic. I, I know that you guys were talking earlier, no fans, and that's gonna suck. That's gonna that's gonna drain some of the atmosphere out, but this is still leafs and habs in the playoffs and it that's what we wanted when all of this started, you know, a few months back. We want. Wouldn't it be great if the Leafs and Habs could, could meet in the playoffs? They're playing in this all Canadian division. The, the, the time is right. Well, it is, and it's it's going to be fantastic.
1: Oh, well, by the way, and Ziggy, we got we got to pin Hugh to the wall here and get some <laughs> bet made for this playoff series. But all oh, of a sudden, yeah. all of a oh, sudden, ladies. he's a little less confident. We'll do that oh, in a yeah. second here. But first of all, we want to make your morning with McDonald's, the Smarties McFlurry. Go on. Mm-hmm. Is making a return to the McDonald's menu. And to celebrate, we're giving away $200 in McDonald's gift cards this morning. To enter, send in your texts and opinions. So we're going to pick a texter of the day. We've done this before. We're doing it again. Send in your texts and opinions. They're flooding in the memories of Kawhi's shot, debating the biggest individual professional sports moments and. Recent Toronto history or Toronto history as a whole, send in your texts and opinions to five ninety five ninety, and whoever makes our morning will win two hundred dollars to spend at McDonald's. Find details at sportsnet.ca slash five ninety. So two hundred dollars in McDonald's gift cards to the texture of the morning. Somebody with a horsey joke would have wanted if we were doing this yesterday. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Food's a big part of life.
2: Thanks, Zig. Yes, it is. <laughs> I learned that from you, though. I learned that from you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's one of the one that's of the few pearls you, of wisdom you, I have to pass you, along. Well, Hugh <laughs> and Scotty. Scotty with with the eggs and the and what was what else? What else did you bring in? It was eggs and something else. I, feel I was, like there was making more food.
5: crappy protein shakes back at that okay. at yeah, that <laughs> time. Yeah, please don't bring in eggs. Seriously, I don't hard boiled <laughs> eggs.
1: Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's especially not
5: good. if you've especially
1: if you peeled off the shell because then you open the tupperware and Ooh. the smell just lifts. Yeah, it's a box. I of, think the smell I, remember, I think the yeah. smell hit Ziggy's nose within like a half second oh. of the of the lid coming off.
5: <laughs> he turned a little green. Yeah, yeah, turned
1: a little green. <laughs> um but life lessons with Ziggy, food is a big part of life. Okay, before we get into the game tonight cuz this is a nothing burger of a game. Yeah. The Leafs the Leafs have won the division. Yep. They're playing Montreal. The only aim, and, and quite frankly, the regular season is supposed to be over. But Vancouver's COVID situation yeah. has pushed a bunch of games back, so they're in Ottawa tonight. They're in Winnipeg on Friday. There is pressure on someone tonight. This is a pressure-free game. The only goal for all of these players is to come out uninjured, yeah, don't right? Don't get hurt. Yeah. But there is pressure on Frederick Anderson. And if he plays well... I don't think a lot of people are going to say much. No. If he gives up three, four, or five, and remember the Ottawa Senators are always up to play the Maple Leafs. Yeah. If Freddie has an iffy or bad night, we're right back into the Frederick Anderson conversation that we were having in February in the first half of March.
5: But, I mean, are we, though? I mean, because Jack Campbell's going to start the playoffs, is he not? I mean, he has to.
2: Yeah, I think at this
5: yeah. at, th- at this point... Campbell's going to
2: start. Uh, Freddie, if he goes back-to-back shutouts, I still don't think he starts. Is he going to play but both can, games? Zig, do you know? If, yeah, no, I, I have a hard time sure. believing. Yeah, well, he's going in for sure, but I, I have a hard time believing he's going to play both. I just You don't sit Campbell out. Like, when's the last time Campbell played? Last Saturday. So if you don't get him in a game, he could sit for almost two weeks. Hmm. You're not going to have your starting goaltender sit. Yeah. Campbell's gonna want it. Campbell's gonna get the last game. If Campbell doesn't get the last game and Freddie gets the next two, then you can start asking questions about who's gonna start in game one. Because then there was something behind the scenes going on where they have Freddie as their starter. But I don't, I don't see it unfolding that way. And I, I don't Campbell's, think that would be a healthy way for
1: things to unfold no. in this market.
2: No, you no, a, a guy goes seventeen and two, and he can't get the net in the playoffs. Well, your, uh, your other goaltender has been injured and has had an iffy season. Like, uh, come on, I, as much as I love Anderson and I'm pro Anderson, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even make that call. So Freddie tonight, Campbell for the final uh, game of the season, I'm expecting Anderson to look good. He's probably going to be rusty when's the last? It's it's got to be 2 months since he's played in the it's NHL. Be... He's played a game and a half in the yeah. AHL yeah. in the last week or so. Well, it's so. got to be it's, it's, yeah, games. but it, Yeah, it's it's good as a game in the minors is. That's just to get your timing back, the mechanics, get in the swing of the routine of waking up, going through the whole pre-game skate, going home, getting ready for a game, getting suited up. That's that's what it's more about, right? but getting an NHL game is a lot different than a conditioning stint in the minors. So Freddie did all that. If he lets in three goals and none of them are bad, fine, even four, I think if he lets in five of any kind, I would be concerned. And a team like the Ottawa senators, they're going to come out and play hard. And they've been one of the best. They always do in the North though. As of late, they've been one of the best teams. They can knock off anybody right yeah, now. And, but really. I'm saying
1: if there's a stinker tonight from Frederick Anderson, then real or perceived, and remember, perception is often reality, the perception at the very least will be that the Maple Leafs are thinner in net than they maybe actually are, or that they're thinner in net than the perception would be if Freddie comes out and plays well. that That's my point. If if Freddie pitches a stinker tonight in a nothing game, this game doesn't matter. No, all it I said it before. I'll repeat it again a hundred times. Get out of this thing healthy. Don't do stupid stuff with Brady Kachuk. Don't get involved in crap. Don't let anybody get dragged into anything stupid. Don't let anybody take suspensions. All of that. So shelving that. This is a nothing game except for Frederick Anderson. And if he if he plays well, then the perception is and perhaps the reality, the Leafs are far deeper in the crease. But if Freddie plays like crap tonight, and this is his only NHL tune-up before the playoffs, and Jack Campbell struggles at any point, especially in the first round, Mm. then people are going to be biting their fingernails down to the cuticles, worried about Freddie's performance if he needs to take the net.
5: It really is a yeah, strange. A strange yeah. Sorry, it really is a strange situation tonight because you're right. This game means absolutely nothing, but it it means almost everything to Freddie Anderson. So it, so you got the the guy in net who's going to do everything he can to win this game, and the, the the players in front of him are like eh meh. Now juxtapose, which is a great word by the way, juxtapose the Leafs goaltending situation to Montreal's. Carey Price, he's not playing either of these final. The, the, this final game he's it but there's no doubt who montreal is going to have between the pipes game one which we think we think is going to be next thursday that's what we're hearing interesting there's no pressure what, on price he's the guy yeah with with the th-
2: the thing about freddie right now and i understand what you're saying scotty with if he doesn't play well tonight, what happened, like how much confidence are you going to have? As long as you don't see him alien a net, you don't see him not moving the same way. That's what I'm going to look for. I'm not going to look so much for how many goals go in. Like I said, if five or more go in fine, but three, four, whatever, as long as he looks decent, um, doesn't give any goals from the side of the net, not in right position, but any of the backdoor plays, or if somebody beats him clean coming down one of the wings or a breakaway, this is like I said, this is a tune-up for him. I'm not concerned. And so,
5: but I Z, just... what what if he doesn't play well tonight? Do you give him that final start of the season to kind of right the ship, or if he doesn't play if he doesn't play well tonight, we're not going to see him ever again? Yeah, no, I, I I think anything short of a of an absolute
2: You know, five, like if he lets in five goals and three of them are just awful, the leash gets a little bit longer for Campbell in the playoffs. It goes from a one, but a a one game, two games, maybe Freddie doesn't come in at all. As long as barring that, and I don't see that happening, I'll give that a 5% chance of happening. Campbell's going to start. He's going to run with the net. If it doesn't look good in game one, game two, Freddie goes in game three, if not sooner. So let's I for if you're going to evaluate Freddie tonight you just want to make sure he looks comfortable in that right is he confident and comfortable and a, a lot of times when you're playing the last game of a season or second last game of the season against a non-playoff team you don't know what you're going to you're going to get you don't know what you're going to get from your own team like who's in the lineup tonight how many guys are they going to dress we don't we have no idea what what the what the Leafs lineup's going to look like if it looks like a playoff lineup where they dress everybody they can, that's gonna that's gonna matter in how I evaluate Freddie's performance. But if they go in and all of a sudden Matthews is out and Sandine's not playing, I don't think Sandine's gonna play because of salary cap reasons. But if Matthews is out and Tavares is out and they're giving uh, TJ Brody a rest, like I don't, I, I wouldn't take if Freddie let in four goals tonight. That's not gonna affect the way I think of him as a playoff starter. I want him in net in the playoffs. I think it's the Leafs are going to need him at some point. If they go deep, Dan Schulman and Adnan Verk will be along next hour. And one of the questions we'll ask
1: them after a big blue Jays win last night, the news from yesterday afternoon, did the blue Jays do Nate Pearson wrong by demoting him in the aftermath of his tough start Sunday? Or if the answer to that question is no, did they do Nate Pearson wrong by bringing him up to make that start on Sunday, exposing him to the consequences of poor performance, which then sends him back down to AAA. So there's a lot to chew on there. Andrew Raycroft, our buddy from uh, Nessun, former Maple Leafs goalie, is on the phone line now, and we'll pick up the goaltending mm-hmm. conversation with uh, Razor. So I'm saying that this is a nothing game tonight. Razor, knowing that the Leafs have A, won the North Division, and B, will play Montreal in the 1-4 matchup in the first round of the playoffs, except it's a something game for Frederick Anderson, who's going to play in his first NHL game in almost two months, and that if he doesn't perform well tonight, I don't know what they'll be saying internally, but around this city, people will be panicking that the Maple Leafs' goaltending situation looks far less deep then maybe it actually is
6: morning guys. And I would agree externally. This is a a big start for Freddie Anderson externally. We know what comes with the goalie position. I certainly know what comes with the goalie position Toronto. I believe internally, it's a little less important. I believe, listen, I think the way that they've, they've got Jack Campbell who went 17, two and two, but they're very concerned about Freddie Anderson, and they're worried about getting him in the lineup. They're worried about getting him back. I think that's very telling in how important they look at Freddie Anderson. And, and I see it the same way. Listen, I think you get bought, you get past Toronto with with Jack Campbell. You you might get past Winnipeg or Edmonton with Jack Campbell. I think when you get to the semifinals, the finals, you need Freddie Anderson to go all of the way. I believe this team's going to outscore Montreal no matter what happens in the first round. But I think long, big picture, the way the Leafs are handling this, the way the Leafs are are getting Freddie Anderson ready and back for some point to play hockey here in the next six weeks is telling when they have a 17-2-2 goalie sitting in the wings.
2: What's going through Freddie's mind right now? And I'm asking because you sit out for a couple months and as a player, really tough to get back in the lineup because you're taking somebody's spot who's kind of established themselves. I imagine for a goaltender, it's gotta be even more different. And I never really had one of those situations where one of our starters was out for a long time, then came back and no one really knew what was happening in net. But I'm I'm wondering what is a guy like Anderson. Going through just that whole process of, you know, of not playing, getting injured, playing injured, uh, the city all over him. You've played for the Leafs, and then all of a sudden you go down to the Marlies. You don't exactly light it up. It's one of those conditioning stints where you're just trying to get your feet under you, and then all of a sudden, two games left in the season, and they want to they want to gauge whether you're ready for the playoffs or not. What's that like? Is what, what's going through his head?
6: It is such an odd dynamic. On top of all that, you know, it's Jack Jack Campbell, the nicest person in the world, such a great teammate. Yeah, dude, done such a good job. You know everybody's loving him right now. He's had such a great record. It, it's, it's a different dynamic. It's an odd situation. I, I do believe, though, all along that I just have to believe internally and inside of that room the guys have all – wanted to know exactly where freddie's at at some point and i and i gotta believe that they see it the same way that at the end of the day we're not winning a cup unless we have freddie anderson everything he's done for us over the last five years yes he hasn't come through in certain clutch moments however i think the guys look at him as as their number one still and they love jack and they love everything he's done and they're very happy for everything that's gone on but at the end of the day they're they're really winning with with freddie anderson
1: with andrew raycroft on leadoff sportsnet 590 the fan it feels like this doesn't make me right but it it feels like this leafs freddie anderson relationship will be coming to an end in the offseason again doesn't mean i'm right it's it's just it feels that way i don't know what's going on in freddie's head i'm obviously not privy like you're not razor to the internal conversations within the organization but I'm wondering, because you've been through it before, what it feels like when you're trying to perform at a peak level and you also have pretty good clarity that your life is about to change in the not-too-distant future, i.e., you're going to be moving. And, and I wonder if you can just kind of keep that tunnel vision heading into the playoffs and stay focused in case you're called upon.
6: Some guys can, some guys can't. And that adds a whole nother dynamic, right? Scotty, that's a whole nother dynamic of does, you know, Freddie Henderson's playing for essentially his last big contract. He's not, you know, he's 31 years old now. So he's not, he's not hitting it big in another four years from now. So this is, this is it for him. This is his his chance to cash in and, and be able to dictate where he goes the rest of the way. If he goes on a long run, then he proves himself that he's a playoff performer. If he doesn't, then he's an oft-injured 31-year-old goalie coming off a season he didn't play much. And where is he going to go and who's going to really tie their boat to that? So really fascinating how it's going to go. And and we can't get in his head, and we've never seen him in this situation. So I don't think anybody, including Freddie, knows how he's going to react to that kind of pressure once he starts going here.
2: What's uh what's the situation in Boston right now with Taylor Hall absolutely lighting it up? Um looks like a new player and how has that changed you know the the fans in Boston is this like has this turned into we don't know where we're going in the playoffs to Stanley Cup contender?
6: It has. In the past 3 <laughs> weeks it's, it's gone it's gone from I don't think these guys have it they just don't it's not they don't have the it they don't have you know what it takes now taylor hall david Krejci, the way they've played since the trade they went 12 4 and 1 since the deadline the last they lost last night to your point scotty as well you guys playing a nothing game the bruins took out 13 players hmm. that played on monday night to play washington last night in washington 13 guys there was there was guys that had never just didn't play all season that were jumping in the lineup they jack, jack
1: edwards had a milk players. carton for them <laughs> his his face wasn't <laughs> his face wasn't on it but jack edwards had a milk carton jack was spinning his
6: head was spinning it was and uh the, the guy that but the fan base the organization the players themselves he, like to watch taylor hall play right now if Watch Saturday night if you haven't got a chance the last 10 days because it is, it, it is night and day from what we saw in Buffalo. The way he is skating, the way he is asserting himself on the ice and backing players off, it's, he, he's been incredible. I had no idea he was this good, and, and I'm not sure if, he, if he's played this well in a long time or at least since he won the Hart Trophy. So, so there's a lot of optimism. Obviously, the road in the East Division to have to go through Washington and then probably Pittsburgh is going to require some luck in injuries. It's going to require some good timing. But the, the Bruins feel as though they're ready as as anyone.
1: Thanks for getting up and doing this. So bright and early. You, you notice he's what we're going, do- He's going
2: right back to bed. Trust you me. You don't. notice oh, yeah, what yeah, we're right, doing. I've already... Right.
6: I've already, I've already I've already rode my bike and went for a swim. I'm just gonna get ready, to go for a run now, Ziggy.
1: You know that. Do a you
2: triathlon know... over there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When's the skeet shooting or the archery? Like, when... yeah. sounds like a busy morning in uh, in New England. You know what we're doing yeah. to you? We started. See, we started calling you a friend of the show when you were on at eight thirty, and then all of a yeah. sudden it's eight, and then it's seven forty-five, then it's seven thirty. We've gotten you to seven fifteen. 6:30 is next. Noticed, Be ready.
6: I, I also noticed when you introduced me, Sky, you didn't say that I was a friend of the show anymore.
2: Well, I did notice. Oh, that. oh no, you're a friend of oh, no, no, no. Here's what happened. Here's here's what happened. It's playoff time, bud. It's playoff time. It's business. <laughs> That's it's right. business.
6: All business now, right? I'm not living in Toronto. It's All business. Oh,
1: we're also nervous, wrecks. We can't lose to the Montreal Canadiens. I can tell you that. Uh, listen, oh, Bru- Bruins and Caps on. Go ahead. Can I say one thing about
6: the Leafs and Canadians? Watching that game, even on Saturday night, my friend and I were watching on NHL Network. How sad is it that there's no one in the stands? I know what's going on. My, I talked to my parents. I know what's going on. My parents are there, my sister there, but to not have this building filled with twenty thousand people, Toronto, Montreal, is it, it makes me so sad. It really, as as a Canadian, as an Ontario kid, I, I'm so upset that there's not that building would be so electric.
1: I agree with you a hundred percent. And it's just good reason to hope that both teams are good for a lot of years going forward so that they can meet in the playoffs when things are normal again, whatever we all deserve that, whatever normal, whatever normal is going to be. Listen, Bruins caps, uh, Bruins versus Chara Saturday game one in Washington. That'll be awesome. Leafs start next week against Montreal. We'll have you on friend of the show and we'll look forward to it. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Be safe. Take care. bet Andrew Raycroft of Nesson, former Maple Leafs goaltender. David Amber, one of the hosts of Hockey Night in Canada and Hockey Central at noon. He'll be along and we will continue to talk about tonight's game in Ottawa, the pressure, if there is any, I think there is, on Frederick Anderson. A lot of baseball talk. Did the Blue Jays do wrong in any way? By Nate Pearson, Adnan Virk, Dan Schulman will answer that question in the 8 o'clock hour. summer bad girls number two Ziggy on the billboard chart in 1979 the last time the Leafs and the Habs met in the playoffs Silent Vic just has the 1979 billboard chart up on the screen keep the text coming if you make our morning this morning with your text of the day uh, you'll get a $200 McDonald's gift card this is all as part of a celebration of the return of to the McDonald's menu of the Smarties McFlurry. God, just in time for a holiday-long weekend. The weather's getting warm, etc., etc., etc.
2: Food's a big part of life.
1: Yes. And at the top of the list, the Smarties McFlurry. Mm. David Amber there, thumbs up. All right, here he is, one of the hosts of Hockey Night in Canada. One of the hosts of Hockey Central at Noon here on Sportsnet 590. The fan... He is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. All right, David, I don't mean to age you here, but what memories do you have of the Leafs and Habs in 1979?
7: Well, I have a question. That was number two on the billboard. Have you already played number one? I'm wondering what number one was.
1: We have not played number one yet. You're going to have to keep listening. I will do that.
5: Uh Um, I have...
7: Foggy memories of '79. I'll be honest. I was uh, I was a young boy. Uh, I was watching hockey at the time and very into it. Daryl Sittler was my favorite player. All I remember is the Habs were this juggernaut and they they couldn't be beaten. And I remember the Leafs rolled through Atlanta and I was pretty excited. I was like, maybe this is the year. And for the second straight year, they ran into Montreal and for the second straight year, they were swept. And uh, that was it, and then I don't even think I ended up watching much after that. So uh, it was sort of a foggy memory. It was it was a very good Leafs team, believe it or not, but it was kind of like the Jets running into the Oilers all those years back in the 80s, right? And they just mm-hmm. ran into a dynasty in one of the you know one of the greatest teams ever assembled in, in the Montreal Canadiens. That's that's basically what my memory was, and being very upset. <laughs>
2: And we're finally there, we're almost there now in the north, right? We're going to get, we got our playoff matchups for right. this this postseason. Which series are you looking to, like, which series excites you more? Because the Edmonton, I, I know everyone here is obviously all in on Leafs, Habs, but what uh, what are you more excited, what series are you more excited to to dig into?
7: Well, we're going to get a real treat. First of all, it starts out Saturday night, Washington and Boston. That is going to be an epic series to veteran uh, filled teams to, you know, cup contending teams and big, strong physical hockey with a lot of skill mixed in. So I can't wait for Boston, Washington, Uh, Florida and Tampa, I think is also going to be, you know, I know that doesn't really excite a lot of people, maybe on paper, but watching how they finished down the stretch, those games were really crazy, physical, mean games. So the table's been set there for one of these, you know, burgeoning NHL rivalries that the NHL's been waiting for, for what, 30 years? They've been uh, division rivals and have never met in the playoffs. So finally, here we go. And, um, you know, Winnipeg I've been since, I, you know, anytime you get a chance to watch Connor McDavid, that's going to be exciting. So I, I'm certainly excited for that and how Winnipeg's going to deal with Connor McDavid. The, the Jets struggled against him. I believe Connor McDavid had multiple points in every single game versus the Jets this year. Edmonton went seven and two versus Winnipeg, so uh, they've got their work cut out. But I'm interested to see how they're going to try and you know handle and slow down and contain McDavid in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but, but obviously, the, the, the big series is going to be Toronto and Montreal. I mean, that's the one we've been waiting for. And, you know, things worked out perfectly. This, this could be really, really exciting. And, uh, you know, what adds to the dramas, I'm just wondering how Sheldon Keith tonight is going to, to manage his star players, manage his team. Mitch Marner played over 21 minutes on Saturday. You know, Austin Matthews played, I think, close to 20 minutes. Is he going to give them that amount of uh, ice time? you know, what, who's going to be in their, their opening night lineup. Freddie Anderson. We're going to see him back tonight for a special edition of hockey night in Canada uh, on a Wednesday night tonight, uh, Leafs in Ottawa. So there's just so many good storylines right now. I'm getting really excited for the next couple of months.
1: Well, David Paul Coffey was on our show on Monday morning and he said, look, um, unless you're needing to heal an injury, that's really been nagging you. You, you got to play. Mm-hmm. And, I think I fall into line with, with that sentiment because it's not as if the leaf season regular season is ending Friday night and then they're sliding into a playoff game on Sunday night. Like uh-huh. They've got five nights at least if they were to start Wednesday, and it, it, it quite possibly could be next Thursday that they begin their playoff series. So I think there's plenty of time for practice and there's plenty of time for rest. So I don't know if you need to play... Austin and Mitch north of twenty uh, tonight or on Friday, but I think you suit them up, don't you?
7: I, I, yeah, and I think uh, yes, and I, I think you asked them. Dave Tippett was asked this yesterday, and he basically said, uh, "You know, twenty nine and ninety seven want to play. I'm not going to stop them from playing. I, I might manage the situations, but I'm not going to say no, you can't play." I think with the Leafs, you got to look at their schedule down the stretch, and it was very, it's been very slow. Right, Saturday, Wednesday. Friday, and then, as you said, they might not play again until Wednesday. You want these guys to be rested. You don't want them to be rusty. I think you would manage their situations. Are you going to march Mitch Marner out there every PK and you know, fear the threat of him blocking a shot and something bad happening? Maybe not. Maybe you're going to try and manage that a little bit better. Uh, but, yes, I think you play them. It's certainly, if they want to play, you play them. You want to keep this rhythm, this energy, this chemistry going, and, uh, and you, you hope and pray, <laughs> and that's all you can really do. Um, But I am interested to see how Freddie does tonight, because that's another big question mark. And and I think the most important thing you brought up, Scott, is they do get to practice, and that's a really big thing. Practice has been so limited, 56 games and 160 nights. Every single coach has been complaining about the lack of practice. Well, now the Leafs do have an opportunity to skate, configure the lines, figure it out, all hands on deck. Zach Hyman was up there skating with with Matthews and Marner yesterday. Riley Nash was on the third line with, with Kerfoot and Mikheyev and you had Felino with Tavares and Nylander, and I'm not sure if we're going to see Nash or Felino or Hyman uh, before the playoffs, but the bottom line is at least now they're getting a little bit of, of chemistry with those guys, and it wouldn't shock me if all three of those guys were ready to go the opening night of the playoffs.
2: I think everyone obviously knows Campbell. I don't think it's a secret it's going to start game one or should start game one, but if Freddie stands on his head today and looks incredible in there, does that change how you feel about him come playoff time and how soon we'll see him?
7: I I, see this is the thing I I, I'm not you think it's a slam dunk that Jack Campbell starts I don't know if Freddie Anderson plays great tonight and says I'm healthy I put Sheldon Keefe I mean that's a great you know envious uh, enviable situation you have two guys you feel comfortable with do you maybe start Anderson and you just have him on an incredibly short leash and if things don't go well in game one or game two you have the ability to bring Jack Campbell in um i don't know i i think that's not a bad situation to have and i liken it to you know washington won the cup a few years ago it wasn't Braden Hope who started the first two games of the playoffs he was struggling and he was dicked up at the end of the season and it was philip grubauer who started the first two games lo and behold they lost those first two games to columbus and then hopey got brought in and the rest is history they won the stanley cup so uh, I think it's not a bad situation to have. I, I think whoever plays game one for the Leafs, Campbell or Anderson will have an incredibly short leash. Cause you know, you have a second guy that you trust and maybe you just, you're going to ride that hot hand as long as you can.
1: With David Amber on lead off sports net 590, the fan, I know that everybody seems and, and typically insists that public perception, public opinion, the media, however you want to describe it doesn't play a role in any of these sorts of decisions. And maybe this year it's a little different because any access that you have is typically through Zoom. You aren't going to bump into somebody in the bowels of Scotiabank Arena walking into or leaving the rink after practice, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But if, I'm telling you right now, if, if Freddie Anderson starts game one against Montreal and things don't go well, the firestorm is going to be a lot hotter and a lot bigger than if Jack Campbell starts game one against Montreal and things don't go well. And I'm not saying that's a, that's the reason you make certain decisions. But Jack is 17-2-2. Two two. Everybody's fallen in love with him. I think you go with him and Freddie's your fallback plan.
7: And that very well could happen. Um, I don't think the team... Uh, I, I think there's confidence there with both goalies. I, and I, I agree with you, there would be a firestorm. The one thing I, the one thing about the Freddie, you know, lack of playoff success narrative that bothers me a little bit, he played well enough to win last year. The Leafs were shut out twice, right? You're shut out twice in a five-game series. That's putting a lot of pressure on those other three games. You better be perfect, right? And they weren't. And yes, he let in a bad goal in game five. Uh, and I know that's sort of been the curse of Freddie Anderson, that, that one bad goal. In a series, but but quite frankly, it was the Leafs' lack of offense and Columbus's ability, in my opinion, to slow down the Leafs uh, that, that cost them that series. Freddie Anderson, I think, had a one six nine and a, a nine three two or something like that. He certainly played well enough to win last year. Corpusalo and Merce Lickens were, were maybe I guess a little bit better, I guess you could say. Um, but I do think that narrative gets overplayed. But I agree with you, Scott. The, the leash, I think, the confidence and the love of Jack Campbell both externally from leaf nation and internally in that dressing room is, is at an all time high. And I think, yes, maybe if you're going to, you know, have to put money down in Vegas, who's starting game one, it might be Jack Campbell. However, I, I do think again, if Freddie Anderson comes out, you know, he has playoff pedigree, Jack Campbell doesn't right. And, I do think there's some value there, and I think there's some value. Uh, Freddie Anderson is very motivated. He's playing for a contract. He, you know, he's playing for his reputation. I, I think there's a lot of, you know, pluses to putting him back in the net if he comes out tonight and and puts in a solid game and looks like the old Freddie. I, I really don't think that would be a bad thing to give him that opportunity in Game One.
2: Most of the experts don't have the Canadians winning two games in this series. I've been telling Scott for a while now this. Montreal team is built for the playoffs. I know they've run into some injuries, some COVID trouble, some some issues in net. But I think this series is going to be a lot tougher if the Montreal Canadiens can find some kind of consistency with their physical play and, and making things tough on Toronto. Do you think they ha- the Canadiens have a chance or is this what everyone's predicting and it's going to be over in four or five?
7: Well, I'd be surprised if the Leafs don't win this series. Having said that, I mean, my memory's not that bad. I'm old and everything. My memory's not that bad. I do remember last August. <laughs> I talked <laughs> to Sidney Crosby, talking to Benny Malkin. I mean, Pittsburgh was summarily dismissed by a, a red-hot Kerry Price and a very effective, stif- stifling Montreal defense. And, and, you know, that can happen. I mean, the Montreal team we've seen for the last month is not the Montreal team we're going to see night one of the playoffs. Gallagher's going to be back. Weber's going to be back. Price, you know, I don't know this, but I would think there's a strong possibility Price will be back. Uh, They are going to be, you know, at least on paper, a lot more looking like that team that was riding high at the beginning of the year. Having said that, I think the Leafs are the better team. I think they're the deeper team. I think they're the more talented team. I I can't see on paper why the Leafs should lose this series, but if anyone's like, oh yeah, the Leafs are going to roll in there and and just sweep them, I I just don't think it's as simple as that. I, I definitely think... You know, uh, if these players come back healthy and Montreal plays the the type of game it's comfortable playing, uh, then it's going to be a real, you know, dogfight with the Leafs, which makes it so compelling, right? And that game one, Scott touched on it. I mean, if the Leafs lose game one you guys are going to have the best shows ever. I mean, it's going to be nuts, right? If the Leafs lose game one, all bets are off, and suddenly, like, the sky is falling and all the rest. So I'm really interested. You don't want to put too much. It's seven-game series. You don't want to put too much credence on game one, but that will be very pivotal as far as the mood Mm -hmm. of the series. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, but filing (laughs) filing it under because of course. I know that both franchises have had somewhat tortured pasts of the last quarter century, but Montreal's century-long success is longer than the Leafs nobody's gonna argue that but of course they have to meet in the playoffs for the first time in more than four decades with the Leafs as the overwhelming paper favorite like of course all the pressure has to be on the Leafs of course yeah, yeah.
7: It's, it's funny how that works out. But you know what? If you're a good team, you live up to the expectations. I mean, think about the pressure that was on the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. Coming off that epic, you know, collapse in the playoffs versus Columbus the year before, there was a lot of pressure on them to live up. Are you this good team, the super team? Or are you guys just a bunch of jokers? And they lived up to it. And if the Leafs are a good team and a championship-caliber team, they've got to come out of the North. You know, all bets are off when you get to the Final Four. In fact, the Leafs will go from favorites to underdogs if they're up against Colorado or Vegas or you know Washington or whomever. They'll probably be the underdog in that series, potentially. Uh, but them getting out of the North this year has to be the goal. In my opinion, anything short of them winning the North will be viewed as uh, they didn't take the steps that we had hoped they would take. Well, and, and that's it. And if they're a good team, Scott, that's what they got to do. Yeah, and and,
1: and if they are the underdogs against whoever they play in in the third round, that's fine, David. The point will have been by that point they've won two playoff series, so yeah. they're motoring. That demon has been exercised, and then yeah. it's just mano a mano, and we'll see what you got.
7: Yeah, and I think that's it. And and there's this extra wrinkle this year. We haven't seen them against Tampa or Carolina or Florida or anyone, right? So we don't know, you know, and everyone keeps saying, are the Leafs for real? Are they as good as the North as good as... And I keep saying, I'm not sure, but we're going to find out. And that's what adds this extra great layer of, of theater to the Stanley Cup playoff pursuit. And I think it makes it really interesting. It will be, uh, you know, it'll go down, in my opinion, as... Um, a wasted season and a disappointing season if the Leafs don't find their way out of the North Division. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but that has to be the expectation this year. It's not just to win a playoff round and to show, hey, we can get past one. I think it's to win two playoff rounds. And then, as you said, all bets are off. We don't know what the matchups are going to be. And, you know, you take your chances with this deep and talented Leaf team. I mean, Kyle Dubas has assembled a team that that checks almost every box you would ask for. So now's the time to go out, and we're going to find out what they're all about.
1: Yep, Kyle Dubas's moves indicate his belief in this group, and now it's up to them. He's empowered them, and they got to go out and perform. We'll leave it there. Thanks, pal. We'll do it again soon.
7: Guys, enjoy. We're uh, excited for tonight, Wednesday night's uh, special edition of Hockey Night in Canada. So we'll see Freddie Anderson back in action.
1: We'll catch you then. You bet. Leafs and Senators tonight on Sportsnet. As David said, the special edition of Hockey Night in Canada. David Amber uh, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit com. Dan Schulman, Adnan Virk, Michael Grange in the 8 o'clock hour. Up next from the Montreal Gazette, Stu Cowan on how the Habs are feeling heading into the playoffs. And we'll get updates on some of their injured players. Keep the text coming if you make our morning with McDonald's. Texting us to 59590, you will win a $200 McDonald's gift card. This is part of the celebration of the return of the Smarties McFlurry. See if we can get an order of that yeah, at some that point this week. That would not be disappointing if a bunch of Smarty McFlurries just randomly showed up on our doorstep. Uh, you know who's showing up on our doorstep pretty soon? Les Canadiens. And uh, here he is from the Montreal Gazette, friend of the show. Uh, Stu Cowan, uh, columnist with the newspaper, is here, and we'll get the uh, Montreal perspective on this thing. Stu, we always appreciate your time. So we found out for sure last night that it's going to be Leafs and Habs for the first time since 1979. Uh, you know that in Toronto we'll find 17 reasons to worry and then the 18th after that. What is the what is the perception in Montreal this morning, knowing that it's the Leafs in round one?
3: Well, you know, Canadians fans, there's probably like Leaf fans in a lot of ways. Some are optimistic and probably more are pessimistic. Uh, I think for the Canadians, this is really, you know, because that week they missed after your army tested positive for COVID. No, they played the last 25 games in 44 days. So the best thing that happened for them is that tonight's game is meaningless. Uh, Dominic Ducharme said yesterday he might rest a couple of his key guys tonight uh, to give them a little bit of a, of a break. But this has been a real grind for the Canadians just to get here. Uh, they've had a lot of injuries, uh, that grueling schedule. And, uh, I mean, I, I personally think it's a mismatch against the Leafs. I can see the Habs maybe winning one game. Uh, but for them to get into the playoffs... Uh, legitimately after last year getting in because of uh, you know, the expanded format uh, is an accomplishment for this team, but it's also a, a disappointment considering the way they started the year with a seven, one and two record. Uh, you know, since then they've lost a lot more games than they've won. Uh, but you no, know, Mike Berger has always says you know, get into the playoffs and anything can happen, which is true, but I'd be very shocked if uh, the Canadians won more than one game against the Leafs.
2: If they do have a chance against the Leafs, who are the guys you're going to look to, to say, okay, uh, the, These are the guys we have to lean on. Obviously, you have to figure out what's happening in the net, but defensively and, and offensively, who are who are your guys that you're going to look to make an impact if the Canadians do have a chance? Well, you know,
3: the problems with the Canadians for so many years is offense, they just don't score enough goals. And last year in the postseason, you know, Carey Price played really well. They beat Pittsburgh and he played really well against philadelphia but they just couldn't score for him and that's been the situation again this year Uh, you know jake allen's played more of the games and the canes just can't score enough goals uh the key guys are going to be tyler toffoli and josh anderson Uh, you know they're two leading goal scorers who will need to uh continue to to put the puck in the net but anderson hasn't scored in his last 11 games Uh, nick suzuki has, has played better recently uh, but he's only got 13 goals. You know, you look at the, you know, the Canes. The Foley leads the team with 44 points. That ranks 43rd in the NHL in scoring. And uh, you know, this has been a long time problem for the Canadians. The last time they had a player in the top 10 in NHL scoring was Matt Snazlin back in 1986. So that's you know it's kind of shocking when you think about that for a team that used to be known as the Flying Frenchman. So for them, it's going to be you know the and Anderson and Gallagher coming back. Uh, you know, he hasn't played since fracturing his thumb on, on uh, April 5th. Uh, he's uh, the heartbeat of this team. Um, so those are the guys that are really going to be counting on, along with Jeff Petrie on the blue line, who has been, uh, you know, I don't call him, that uh, was in the paper this morning, he's been the Iron Man for this team, uh, hasn't missed a game, leading the team in minutes. And then Shea Weber coming back also from an injury, uh, upper body injury. And he he wasn't playing well. Uh, before he went out with the injury, he had tried to play through it. So you know, just they got guys coming back from injuries, but they're going to be rusty.
1: What What do we know right now about Kerry Price? Other than that, he is he's not playing the season finale and has obviously not played in a little while, battling the concussion stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if the playoffs started tonight he'd be playing he practiced took part in the full practice yesterday uh but you know talk about being a rusty here's a guy who's only played two games since april 5th he missed six games with a lower body injury and came back and suffered a concussion in his second game back um you know in, in the past price has played really well when he's rested that was the case last year in the postseason uh but you know, there's a lot of miles in that body now, and a lot of injuries and and you know concussions. You never know. You know, coming back from from a concussion, that's going to, that's going to be one of the big questions: is who does Dominic DuCharme start net? Because Jake Allen has been the better goalie this season. Uh, Price has been really inconsistent. Allen has given the chance, team a chance to win basically every game he's played. Unfortunately, they haven't scored enough goals for him. So that's going to be one of the probably the most interesting question heading into this playoffs: is who's going to be the starting goalie uh, when this series starts? Uh, I have a feeling it'll probably be Carey Price, but as I said, here's a guy who hasn't played a game uh, you know, for over a month. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there.
1: With Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette on leadoff Sportsnet 590, The Fan, there are certain players in each market, and sometimes they gain such a national appreciation, notoriety, whatever, that it's almost like I got a question or two about this particular athlete, but I don't feel like I can ask it because I just don't have the energy For the blowback I'm going to get on Twitter or on the text lines or whatever. Carey Price, he, I mean, he was awesome in the bubble last year. The Habs got through a round because of his play, but not only has he not been consistent this year, his inconsistency dates back a few seasons now. Like what is the honest objective Shelving the name, if I if I just said this goalie who was really really good for a long period of time has this current contract with that much remaining on it, Carey Price has years and years and years at eight figures. I mean, what would be the objective, honest assessment of that deal for that player right now?
3: That's going to weigh heavily on this team going forward. Ten point five million dollars salary cap hit, five more seasons. Uh, as you said, he's just, he's been inconsistent. He can be the best goalie in the league on some nights, and then on other nights, uh, he's very far from it, and, as you said that 's been the case not just this season, but the past few seasons uh, when Stefan Wake got fired as his goalie coach midway through a game, another of the sort of soap opera storylines this Canadian uh, season uh, afterwards in an interview, he had talked about you know how they really have to manage price now because you know he's got uh, knee issues and uh, hip issues, and there's a lot of miles in that body he 's a big man uh, you know every time he drops down to his knees that 's a lot of weight hitting the ice, a lot of you know and it 's taking a toll on him. So, you know, can he get hot in the playoff series? Yes. Um, could he, you know, could he stand on his head and, and help the Habs beat the Leafs? It's possible. Uh, but going forward, you know, you, you'll get that carry Price for seven or eight games, and then he'll go into a slump and, you know, not play well and then come back. And I think that's just who carry Price is right now. Uh, he's a guy who was a superstar goalie, now on the downside of his career. And for the Canadians, there's five more years left. The $10.5 million salary cap and you add in Shea Weber's cap, which is almost $8 million, So you're getting over $18 million tied up in two older guys who uh, aren't as good as they were a couple of years ago and are also breaking down physically. So that's going to weigh really heavily on this team uh, moving forward through the next five years.
2: Does the fact that there's no fans in the building change for you, the playoffs, and especially a series like Toronto Montreal we've been talking all morning and uh, how different it would be if there were fans does the, what's your take on that I know it's been over a year now we had the bubble last year no fans and and slowly we're starting to see more sports fans trickling but for the NHL playoffs does it change for you at all
3: for sure and especially Toronto Montreal I mean it was 1979 the last time they played you know dating myself I was 16 I was in high school back then uh, to think, you know, what this city would be, what both cities would be like, uh, with the you know Canadiens Maple Leafs playoff series, I mean, both buildings would be rocking. Not only that, but the bars and the restaurants and everything around the city would just be going crazy. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be really weird uh, with no fans. Having said that, I was watching a game the other night on TV uh, with my wife, and I was saying, you know, we're so used now to watching games without fans, it's going to be weird now when fans are back
6: <laughs> in, in
3: the arenas. Uh, But but yeah, I mean it, it's such a shame that you know we finally get Montreal Toronto in the postseason, and not only no fans in the arena, but no fans in the bars or restaurants. Uh, uh, so that's that's really sad. But I mean, at least we are finally going to get uh, a series that I think so many hockey fans in Canada have been hoping for for a long time.
1: Stu, awesome of you to do this, and uh, you can bet once the series is underway, we'll be back in touch. Appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the lead up. It'll be fun. Okay, I look forward to it. Thanks a lot. That's Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette. We're taking texts, Ziggy, to five ninety five ninety. If you make our morning with McDonald's, you get a $200 McDonald's gift card. Uh, this is all part of the celebration of the return to the McDonald's menu of the Smarties McFlurry. The best, I think the best text that has come in so far, my name is Ken, I hope I win the McDonald's
2: gift card. That's what you got for me right now? That's I what I got for you.
1: My name is Ken.
2: I hope I win the McDonald's gift card. Just get right to the point. Is that Ken Reed? Can we? What's the number on it? Let's, don't a, read it out. <laughs> it's a 647 number. It could be Ken Reed right now. Could be Ken. Could, you think yeah. Ken Reed is up? He listens to the... He messages me sometimes during the show. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Ken's not up. Ken's He's got something. And if, Ken if, works if, you late. Say, if you say the word deep or pucks, I think he has some kind of notification on his phone that just it buzzes him well, on any media any media form he's yeah, got, it, it, well he's got his pucks in deep count on Night I mean. central yeah, through the season
1: go. right so <laughs> and sometimes he gets a little loose with the pucks in deep rule too like there's post game <laughs> interviews with players around the nhl and if they like chip pucks in or like he'll just always he'll add it to the counter we got another text uh my name is noah give it to me not ken all right, so now what it was, it's just going, <laughs> now, now this
2: is, here we go. This is, this is somehow going to circle started? back to all
1: the horsey oh, jokes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, my name is Jordan. Okay, but all right, so Jordan wants one. So now we're just going to get first names. So somebody's going to jump on Noah now. Don't give it to Noah, don't give it to Ken. I see where all of this is going. It's going to get dangerous. Uh, Dan Schulman at 835, Adnan Verk in about 15 minutes' time. Up next, Michael Grange. Just how rotten an experience was it for the Raptors in Tampa? We've heard from Chris Boucher and Freddie Van Vliet over the last 24 or so hours, how they can't wait to get back to Toronto. And now that the Raptors season is all but over, there's just the leftover games to be played. When are we going to have clarity on Masayu Ujiri's future? Michael Grange next, but first. Here's what we're talking about on leadoff this morning. Sportsnet 590, the Fan Jets 5, Canucks nothing last night. Why do we care about that? Well, it solidifies that Winnipeg is the three seed in the North Division, which means Montreal is the four seed, which means it's the Leafs and the Habs in the first round of the playoffs, the first time these two teams will meet in the postseason since 1979. What were you doing in 1979? I was busy not being on this planet yet. Uh, The Blue Jays with a big come from behind victory last night. They got a two-run home run from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then took advantage of a Braves bullpen that coughed it up with a three-run eighth inning. Jays five, Atlanta three. The Blue Jays are back in action tonight on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, a game you can watch on Sportsnet 1. Hyunjin Ryu uh, gets the ball for Toronto. Max Fried will pitch for Atlanta. Battle of left-handers. The Raptors. Well, they're not playing anybody, and so they got the result that comes when you essentially don't use any of your starters. 115-96, uh, the Raptors fall to Kawhi and the L.A. Clippers in Tampa last night. And the future of the Raptors is kind of sort of in question as we uh, try to figure out exactly what's next for Masai Ujiri. And so to help us break that down and uh, to discuss his understanding of what the real experience was like in Tampa, because the players are starting to publicly talk about this. Uh, We welcome to the program, uh, Sportsnet's NBA insider, Raptors reporter, uh, Michael Grange. Uh, Michael, always good to chat. Uh, Thank you for your time this morning. Let's start with the players and the actual experience of this season. I mean, you've been involved in the Zoom calls. Uh, You've got contacts inside the team, outside the team. From what we've seen, we probably don't know four-fifths of it or more. If you could describe the season and the experience that these players had playing in Tampa and dealing with all the COVID stuff, what would be an apt description?
8: I think it's been trying. Um, I think you probably have to separate a little bit, you know, the actual dealing with the 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 reality of the season and what not only what COVID meant and what COVID brought on in in terms of trying to play a season in the middle of a pandemic. I think that was trying for all 30 teams. And, you know, you do consistently hear about, you know, just the, the inconvenience of testing, I think the wall of a season, uh, you know, there really were no off days you were either playing or traveling to play. And as you were doing those things, you were kind of insulated from everyday life and you know, I, I think nobody's from what I read, like everyone's very hesitant to complain because they, they don't want to sound like they're feeling sorry for themselves. And obviously their situation is for the most part better than almost anyone else's, but, uh, just relative to what they're expected to do and to get out and compete and entertain while, you know, uh, just going hotel, bus, uh, arena, um, testing over and over again. I mean, I think I, that's been difficult for every team. I think for the Raptors, um, you know i don't I don't know if to a man that they would find being in Tampa all that bad. I think it was certainly um, you know there was certainly a lot of dislocation. I think there's a sensitivity more to people around the team staff and 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 things like that who actually have full time lives entrenched in Toronto with kids and families and wives and these kinds of things. They really had to make a lot of sacrifices and adjustments and there's an awareness. Uh, that I mean, if you're a 26 year old NBA player with no attachments, um, you know, it's, it's in it, there was definitely some inconvenience and some uncertainty early on, but I think a lot of that melted away. And but I, I think you've heard players talk about just missing Toronto, right? Because they like it, they've been exposed. you know, it, it, for reasons people do like Toronto, but would they miss the version of Toronto they had while they were here? Probably not, right? Like, let's be honest. So, mm-hmm. um you know, I think uh, you know. I think a better way to phrase it is, I think people are looking forward to coming back to Toronto, if and when Toronto's available to be co- to be uh, to be visited again.
2: Now that they're officially out, how do you summarize the last three, four weeks and what was happening with not trading Kyle, then all of a sudden not, you know, not winning, winning like the record. We had no idea what they were doing. Was it a tank? Wasn't it a tank? How how did you, how did you view the last month with the Raptors?
8: I think there was some confusion there, and I think that does come from uh, from the top. Frankly, that that, uh, leadership in terms of Bobby Webster, Visai, Jury—they weren't really available. There wasn't really, you know, an opportunity to kind of for them to kind of address in the way organizations can address what their their kind of goals are without coming up and saying they're tanking. I think at the trade deadline there's you know i think at that point um the decision not to trade kyle lowry is very clear i just don't think that they got what they felt was worth trading him for and so that you know they always had plan b could be to do something with him in the summer in terms of a sign and trade or whatever it might be or just using his cap space if he leaves in free agency or and i would still say a possibility is he comes back and uh so I think at the, that, that I think it really breaks down as simply as that. They, there wasn't like an agenda that they were going to trade Kyle Lowry. There was an opportunity, and the opportunity wasn't as good as maybe they thought it might end up being. So um, And then after that, you know they, I think they were well, they were trying to tank. they were trying to position themselves for the lottery. The problem is that they had a large number, number of decent players on their raptor on their roster all playing for their next job. And you had a head coach and a coaching staff that were not going to compromise in terms of their preparation and how they they got through each game, and you also had a league where a lot of your opponents were were subpar. A lot, like you know what I mean? Like like it was yeah. some games were, were hard to, to lose. <laughs> yeah. You know, some games were hard to lose. And, and I think you know, but I think when you look at the whole thing, that they end up with the seventh best lottery odds in the end. I mean, I think that's probably realistically as good as they can do. If you look at the teams that were below them, I think they're five or six games behind Cleveland or ahead of Cleveland, however you want to put it. And it would be really hard because at one point they had one; they were 500, right? They had those seven; they were 17 and 17 at one point, I think. And it's just hard in a short season to lose enough games to catch, so to speak, teams that have been, you know, had made had their mind made up before the season started. So um, I think, you know, when they sat Kyle Lowry before that Washington game, you know, that tells you everything you could conceivably need to know about their, what their real intentions were.
1: And who knows, Michael, the COVID outbreak and not just that it derailed them while it was happening. But I, I think the one thing that doesn't always occur to us, but probably should, is that the COVID outbreak and its effects don't stop when everybody's back. You can't, the the physical ramifications, I mean, who is it? Jason Tatum is still sucking on an inhaler. Uh, Yeah,
8: I mean, I I I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, first of all, I think they were a little bit unique in how widespread the outbreak was. So you had, it wasn't just one or two players kind of trying to deal. It was was a a large swath of your players and three of your key players. Um, And and I think the timing of it, too, the fact that it happened over the All-Star break, There was a lingering effect there as well because you had, instead of, you know, they had a brief window where teams, players could go back and and be with their families. And, and, you know, even by then the U.S. was opening up a little bit. You could kind of imagine some sort of break from the season. And instead, you know, you had half the team in quarantine in a hotel room. Like, you know, and then as you point out, there was a fitness element of that. And then the, the players who didn't end up having COVID, like the load that they had to carry playing extended minutes and night after night and all that kind of thing, that, that ends up having a ripple effect. So, I mean, it was, a. I think if, 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 if this team hadn't had to deal with COVID to the extent they did, I mean, I think they would be in in the playoffs. I think if they had ever had a chance to be fully healthy, I still think that they would be a pretty dangerous team in the playoffs. Um, were they going to win a title? No. Uh, were they going to be a conference finalist? No. And so I think when you mix it all together, um, this is probably the best outcome, presuming, you know, they get some luck in the lottery.
1: Uh, with Michael Grange on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, this is, uh, th- there's really no way to ask a, a, a fair question with regard to crystal balls and predictions on the Masai Ujiri front. I, I would imagine that, I think this is true for the fan base, I would imagine it is also true for the organization that a resolution to this whole situation comes sooner rather than later what is your sense michael of how this is likely to play out over the next weeks and months masai being of course a pending free agent
8: yeah i, I think it'll be weeks i don't know if it can be months just because of um you know i think the, you've got the nba draft for example july 29th so that would be i think you'd want to have things tied up well before that um I I mean, from my sense of the situation, things have remained very, very consistent since uh the start of the season and I've touched base with various parties over the course of the season and things have been have remained status quo. Um they are the, going to be beginning focusing on Messiah Jerry all along didn't want to deal with this during the season. The season is basically over, so I think beginning next week. Uh they will there will be significant conversations about uh, what his future with the organization is. Um, I've written before that I think what he's what he will be looking for, if you look back at what brought him here in the first place when Tim Wickey recruited him from Denver, he had a very specific list of things he knew needed to happen to elevate the Raptors as a franchise within the league. And they were discussed, they were laid out. And when you look at things like it, adding a G League team, building a practice facility, getting an All-Star game in Toronto, um, you know, other odds and sods, they were all knocked out and achieved. And and so I think, I think now you're kind of looking for what are those next, you know, what is the commitment from MLSE to maintain and improve as an organization in an environment where, you know, payrolls are going to be touching 200 million dollars when luxury taxes are factored in and things like that and what is the commitment from mlc um coming out of a pandemic in terms of you know how that's going to impact the bottom line if it hasn't already and going forward in a season where there's probably going to be restrictions in toronto if they even get to play in toronto so so i think those are issues and then i think all of that has to be balanced in with you know, you've got a guy who's approaching 50, I think, Masai. He's, he's right around there, and he's clearly, uh, he, you know, he's an international citizen. He carries passports from, you know, multiple countries in the world. He's, his, his wife is similar. Um, and this is his shot, right? Like, I mean, it's not like his career is coming to an end, but he would be right at his peak. And so whatever choice you make, um, you know, it's going to be for the probably the best years of your career, potentially, the prime of your career. And so do you want to you want to explore all your options. You want to make sure that if you stay, this is absolutely the right place. And you want to know if there are opportunities out there that could um, shape the next stage of your career in your life. So I think those things are all still to be, you know, I think those things are all in play. And, uh, you know, if I, I, and I wrote this back, you know, before the season started and and I don't really have any reason to change it. I, I think the most likely scenario here. I think there's a few different scenarios. One is, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't see him signing here and being a raptor for life. Like I, I think it's more likely if he does stay, it'll be kind of a shorter term deal. I think uh, with the NBA ultimately uh, going to expand, um, we don't know exactly when, but I think that is going to happen. I think, you know, if you're adding a new team, if you're Tim Lewicki in that organization in Seattle and you're adding a new team to the NBA, uh, I think you would make a phone call to Masai Ujiri and offer him, offer him part of the ownership stake to be the leader of that franchise. I think that's an opportunity you want to keep your your uh, options open for. Um, and, and, you know, and, and really, but the one thing from MLSC's point of view is he doesn't have any specific leverage right now there is not that next great NBA job available uh, that we know of and um, you know unless he wants to take a year off and just kind of consider the landscape then you know I think the most likely scenario is he does return and it's probably on um, you know some kind of shorter more flexible deal and 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 I think that's what I was talking about before the season started and I'm not 100 percent sure why that would change
1: at this point Thanks for this, Michael. Always enjoy it. And, uh, you know, we'll be calling again very soon. Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Take Michael care. Michael Grange, Sportsnet NBA insider, Raptors reporter. Adnan Verk. Well, let me just get this all out because I don't want to get it wrong. MLB Network, NHL Network, GM Shuffle Podcast with Michael Lombardi, and the play-by-play voice of WWE Monday Night Raw. And this is what we know. This and this is what we we, know. But don't we know? (laughs) I wonder if this guy is sneaking off for three hours every afternoon to a McDonald's to serve Smarties (laughs) McFlurries, which we're giving
2: away gift cards for today. I don't think he's doing that, but it wouldn't surprise me if you did. Tell me, (laughs) nothing, nothing would surprise
1: us at Verk running the world. Uh, That's uh, that's probably the right title for you. Okay, so. Uh, we'll push the Leafs back to just a little bit later in the conversation. If Nate Pearson comes out Sunday and pitches well against Houston, this is not a conversation. Where, though, because he didn't pitch well against Houston, did this go wrong? Were the Blue Jays wrong to call him up so quickly in the first place? Or, once he was here and struggled, were they wrong to send him down before he had a chance to correct it with a second start?
4: I think it's the latter, Scotty. And listen, Pearson is so incredibly important to this team's fortunes this season. I mean, even a casual Blue Jays fan knows this guy's the future. He's a towering presence in the mound. He throws and he hits triple digits. He has wipeout stuff. He is the future. And in order for this team to be contending, in which, let's look at the landscape, guys. This is a baseball world Which is married to mediocrity. If there's one headline so far in baseball, it's parody. Like, who are actually the great teams? We don't know yet. According to paper, it's going to be Red Sox Giants World Series. I find that hard to believe. So for the Blue Jays, you say, okay, we're around 500, but so is everyone around 500. We can do this. We just need to shore up the starting pitching. Wow. If Pearson becomes a veritable number two, along with Ryu and, you know, Robbie Ray's been good and Steven Matzik, here we go. So I think he's so critical of team's fortune, Scotty. The team looks and just goes, okay, wow, he looked a little little uncertain. Let's just send him down. Make sure he's healthy. Bring him back. And I am of the belief you've got to just power through these situations. You know, so far we've seen tantalizing stuff, but also a guy who has a propensity to be wild, right? Just walks way too many guys. And we saw that in his first start of the season. So I just think he's going to find the strike zone more have that feel, and so much of pitching is about feel, you have to work through it. That's my belief, but I, I think he's so critical of this team. That's why there's such a focus around him, and that's why I do understand why Jay's management is just so uh, careful.
2: What is the obsession with pitchers and velocity throwing like over 100? I, I really don't understand it. I I would try to hone my, if I was a pitcher, I would try, I would attack it differently. I would try to develop as many pitches as possible and then move from there, where do you stand on guys like Pearson that are trying to throw 105, 106? Is it is it worth it with the injuries and the fact that he's having trouble at the big league level?
4: It's definitely been frustrating, Ziggy, because, you know, I go back and, you know, all of us love baseball growing up. Remember 80s and 90s baseball. And, like, I often think about Tom Glavin. And I go, listen, somehow this guy won 305 games and is in the Hall of Fame. And he couldn't throw a fastball that would break a plate of glass, right? He topped out at 86 maybe. I I just see a lot of 83 miles an hour against a right-handed hitter just painting it black on the outside corner. And for years, he made that work. And, you know, Jamie Moyer is a guy who's a great soft-tossing lefty. And I appreciate smoke. There's no question, especially when it comes from a closer. Like, I love her oldest Chapman dialing up 105. But I think for a starting pitcher – We've lost something. There's been a lost art now when it comes to the art of pitching. And too many guys, to your point, are just focused on velocity, and that's all they care about. And listen, the pitchers have the advantage right now. I mean, batting average is just historically low. I believe, as of a week ago, the the league-wide batting average was 230, which was the lowest since 1968, famously the year of the pitcher, when Bob Gibson had a 1.12 ERA, and they had to literally move the mound to make it fairer for the hitters. So that's the kind of dominant pitching we're seeing right now. So you and I can quibble and say, hey, you know what? I miss the kind of art of pitching. It's just a lot of guys throwing 100. But they say, well, it's working. Pitchers have the advantage. Velocity matters. And the difference between 97 and 94 and 194 is enormous. You know, I work with so many former players, and I ask them, they go, oh, my goodness. It it really is a huge difference, three miles an hour, and that's why these pitchers fight for every mile an hour. But I agree with you. What happens is high risk, high reward, and sometimes a guy could dial it back a little bit, but he's always going maximum effort, maximum velocity, and that can lead to injuries.
1: With Adnan Verk on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. We've been having the discussion this morning. We now know it's the Leafs and the Habs in the first round of the playoffs. So the only goal for the Maple Leafs tonight in Ottawa and then on Friday in Winnipeg is to get out of these games healthy. But Frederick Anderson's starting tonight. And it's his first NHL game since March the 19th. He's played a game and a half of AHL action in the last five, six nights to try to work up to this moment coming off of what we believe is a knee injury of some kind. I think there's pressure on Freddie to perform tonight. I I, I, I mean, I don't think it matters to anybody else, and it obviously isn't going to affect any anything related to the standings, Adnan, but, but Frederick Anderson whether it's just for the fan base or maybe even for some people internally with that organization, I think he needs to play well to confirm for us that the Maple Leafs have some significant goaltending depth that can be counted on if needed in the playoffs.
4: I would add a third group, Scotty, and that's for himself. I think it's for the fan base. I think it's for people internally in the organization, and I think it's for himself. I think a lot of people know that what Freddie's facing is this mountainous challenge of proving that he can still be the guy, and I'm sure a part of it isn't with himself. There's this gnawing self-doubt. He's been a really good NHL goalie, but he has had, unfortunately, a tendency to give up some bad goals, especially last year in the playoffs. So whether it's him or Jack Campbell moving forward, you're right. He wants to prove to people, no, I'm still the guy and I think more than anything, what this NHL season has taught us is that you've got to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. And if you expect you're just going to have one goalie go wire to wire, you're mistaken. Like I was looking at the Avalanche and Grubauer has been tremendous for them. But I think the fact they don't have a backup is concerning. Like just the health of a goalie, being able to stay sure the entire time and being able to withstand the rigors of the playoffs. There's no certainty you're going to get through the finish line. So – even if Campbell's the guy, you know, for the first game against the Habs, Freddie's health and his durability, his excellence is important. So I think there would be nothing better than if he goes out there and just literally has a whale of a performance. If he pitches a shutout, you'd go, oh, my God. All right, Freddie's back. Here we go. And maybe he's not the guy, but he can be a great backup if Campbell struggles. Or he is the guy. And he said, "No, I'm going to go with the experience hand. We can always go to Jack Campbell if necessary. So I, I completely agree with you. For a game late in the year – it's going to be fun to see how he performs. And just when you said Montreal, Toronto, like this is going to be so much fun. I mean, I, I wish it was God packed house and fans going wild. At the bell center and um, in Toronto, but whatever bottom line is leaves Toronto. It's gonna to be a lot of fun.
2: The Wednesday practice lines have them at with gelchenyuk and Engvall, not in the lineup that leaves Thornton Spez and Simmons on the fourth line, little bit of an older fourth line, not what you typically see. galchenyuk's played well enough to deserve conversation of starting the playoffs with the team. Engvall's been great as of late. What are your thoughts on that fourth line, and any thoughts on what you think Keith is trying to do?
4: Well, it's more important than you realize. Again, in the past, and I think Ziggy, you know that. Like in the past, you go fourth line, you go, well, how important is a fourth line? What are they playing? Nine minutes, forty-seven seconds. Especially a playoff game. If, are you kidding? Uh, yeah. But but I think now you go, no, no, fourth lines are actually kind of important because, again, you look at the durability of the team, the endurance, and, again, it's not as important as your top line, but those guys can chip in. How many big goals has Spezza had this season? How many big hits has Wayne Simmons had? So I think that, you know, obviously having Joe there as well, clearly what they're saying is, all right, gonna, all right let's have some veteran experience. These guys can, can kill penalties perhaps. Um, although I don't know what their, their, their age, it's a bit of a question, but I think it's, Mm -hmm. listen, you're getting, you're getting a high motor. That's what you're hoping for. You get some skill and some scoring and you're getting some physicality and some toughness, especially from Simmons. So that's the focus. Although I remember the three of us were talking when Galchenyuk got called up and and I agree with you. He, I think he's performed uh, above expectations. I don't know how much was expected of him, but he's got that speed and he's got skill, which is important. So maybe there's some maneuvering to be done, but clearly to me that says veteran presence a little bit of physicality and perspective specifically this year. He scored some timely goals. So that's the approach I think.
1: All right. So we think we'll have you on next week before the start of this playoff series We I want you to think about this. I'm not going to have you answer it this morning. Do the Leafs win by three count? Do they win by submission? Do they win by <laughs> count out or disqualification, which means the title won't change hands or are the Habs going to win? Now you gotta. I want. I want you to bring the. Uh, you got to bring the wrestling analogy to the hockey conversation next week. That's what I want to know.
4: Sure, I will tease it by saying this, Scotty. I think somehow, some way, a German suplex is going to be involved.
1: Oh my God! Let's hope that. <laughs> let's hope it's not a Brock Lesnar. That doesn't look like it's easy to take. I know Brock's not in WWE anymore, but yes, the German suplex. Wow, you still enjoying it, pal? It must be a blast. Must be a oh, blast. Oh, Scotty,
4: it's so much fun, man. Like, I, I can't believe it's happening. Like, it's, it's such a surreal moment. As you guys know, especially when you start something new, there's always a learning curve, and you're trying to learn a and the nomenclature and and the jargon. But the guys I'm with are awesome, Corey Graves and Byron Sachs, and they know what a different world it is. And, like, when you're in the moment seeing that athleticism, like, I got to tell you, man, like, I have the best seat in the house. I'm literally, I'm so close to the action. When you see somebody go flying off the top ropes or deliver a crazy body slam like Braun Strowman does, It is is bone rattling, and it really is amazing to see. Anybody who doesn't get WWE, I feel sorry for them because you're missing out.
1: Wait until you get 15,000, 18,000 people in an arena for a Monday Night Raw. (laughs) Then it'll be be the true experience. Uh, We'll do it again next week, pal, and look forward to it.
4: Uh, I'm off to get a Smarties McFlurry. And by the way, I did work at McDonald's, not now, but way back in the day, two and a half years, and I did win employee of the month four months in, one of the great achievements <laughs> of my career.
1: Your face was on that. the wall too, right? A photo, a photo of Adnan Verk for a full month. The bright smile, the employee of the month. Love it. Yeah. All right, pal. We'll talk next week. Adnan Virk of uh, MLB Network, NHL Network, the GM Shuffle podcast in the play-by-play voice of Monday Night Raw, which you can watch each and every Monday night at 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 360. Dan Shulman on the huge come-from-behind win for the Blue Jays last night. Hey, look, they're two games over 500. they They've been through a lot, and they're right in the thick of it. And we all still believe in Nate Pearson, but there has been a bump in the road. Could it, should it, have been avoided? Dan Shulman next. (laughs) All right, so My Sharona was the number one song on the Billboard charts in 1979. The last time the Leafs and Habs met the playoffs. Been hanging on the uh, edge of our seats for that for the last two and a half hours as Silent Vic has played the Billboard chart from 1979. <laughs> People are getting a little demandy on the hmm. text line, Ziggy, for this $200 McDonald's gift card as part of the celebration of the return of the Smarties McFlurry. Derek says, "Be smart, and just give me the gift card." Now Noah, Ken, and Jordan texted in earlier, asking for the gift card. Paul in Orangeville says there is no way you can give the McDonald's card to Jordan. Hmm. <laughs> there's, there's layers to that text. That might be that might be the lead dog at this That's moment rut right now. Oh we got a lot coming in the paragraphs are tough to read
2: though there's, there's paragraphs oh, coming in oh some people are paragraphing and let me give you like winner i know that we don't have much time to talk about the, a winning text but it's going to have to be short and sweet the one that's going to win if Scotty has to read out a paragraph it's not happening it's going
1: to be tough <laughs> we appreciate your thoughts and your text and the effort you're going to but we we got we got to be precise precision is important here uh, with that, let's turn to our good friend. He's precise. Uh, Dan Shulman, he is the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet, coming off of a big come-from-behind win last night. Good morning, sir.
0: Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, a really nice win. Like uh, one of those games where for most of the night you kind of said, uh, it's not meant to be, and then they figured out a way to win it. That was a good team win last night.
1: Yeah, it was. And it was, It was, two things were happening at once. And you said it on the broadcast, a buck, and I was right there with you. It, Robbie Ray has set such a bar this year that he's not going to reach it every fifth day. He wasn't quite as precise, as I keep coming back to that word, as he has been in recent starts. And yet, Dan, he kept them in the game as the offense was limping along against Bryce Wilson for five innings. and. Yep. With the Toronto, I always say this with Austin Matthews and the Leafs, you're down a goal late, something special can happen with Austin Matthews on the ice, doesn't matter how badly or how limp they've looked. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you get him to the plate as the opportunity uh, or with the opportunity of being the tying run, something special could happen, and we saw it last night.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of good things, and you're right. Robbie Ray wasn't quite as good, in my opinion, as he was his previous three starts. His fastball wasn't quite as overpowering as it was the last three starts, but I thought he used his slider and his curveball ball very well. And he got the outs he needed to get. And it's funny. He, he always seems like he's going to give up a couple of solo home runs, but if you're not walking guys, they're solo home runs. They're not two run homers or three run homers. Uh, and that's okay. And then, You know, I wonder when Acuna homered and jogged by Vladdy at first and said something to him, I wonder if that fired up Vladdy a little bit. You know, maybe that's just me making a story where none exists, but um, he had a couple of great at-bats after that. And and let's be honest, Atlanta made two bad mistakes in the eighth inning, one by the pitcher and one by Freddie Freeman. And then the bullpen, Thornton the seventh, chat with the eighth, Romano eventually, (laughs) the ninth, uh, as stressful as that got. But this is one of those games where every single part of the team contributed. And while we're talking Vladdy, he made three good defensive plays last night, too. Like, he's getting better and better over there. Buck and I were talking about it. There, there could be even another level for him on both sides of the ball. You know, have a, have a great year this year. Go home. Uh, take the conditioning program to even and the nutrition even to the next level. And, might, you know, he might even come back better next year.
2: They option Nate Pearson to AAA in Buffalo and I'm not sure what you think of it but I I'm okay with bringing a prospect in prospect in having him taste a little bit I know he's played at the big league level before but have yeah. him come in this year see where he's at and then I'm okay sending him down is that the wrong move or would you you know would you have rather just kept him in AAA until he absolutely dominated and then bring him up
0: So here's here's the thing I keep thinking about is they're caught between what's best long term for him and the team versus the immediate need. And the immediate need was they had to get a guy to give them some innings on Sunday because the bullpen was shot. So they said, okay, he was good in triple A. Let's bring him up. He and Anthony K could maybe go seven, maybe eight innings between them. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way. So I don't think they wanted to bring him up for Sunday. I think they felt they had to bring him up for Sunday. Then they bring him up, and he walks five and two and a third. And now I think they're saying, uh-oh, maybe we can't let him go out there and do this again. If it happens again, maybe it's going to take us a while to undo whatever damage might happen because he does it again. So I, I think they're continually caught between you know, micro and macro, short-term and long-term, how, however you want to phrase it. Um, I, I honestly, I find this a very a, a difficult situation right now because we don't know exactly what it is. Is it mechanics? Is it health? Is he struggling with confidence? Like he has never had a walk problem in the minor leagues, never. And he had, you know, he had one on Sunday in the major leagues and he had one at times last year as well. But then you see him in the playoffs last year against Tampa Bay. And he's just overpowering. Like he blows them away. So it, it is in there. The trick is how can they get it out? So, I think I would have, if you're going to bring him up, I think I would have liked to have seen him get another opportunity in some sort of a role. But my guess is Ziggy, that they were concerned that if it happened again, then the problem might get bigger and it might take them mm-hmm. longer to fix it.
1: And Alec Manoa's name is, is factoring in he's going to make his second minor league start after blowing the doors off on opening night, the six inning two hit 12 strikeout, no walk performance. Like, if he's good again tonight, Dan, that that conversation is going to ramp up and I for Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, it's always about managing expectations and not trying to push this thing along too far. You talk about future and immediate need. This is also a team as we know that 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 fancies itself a contender and quite frankly given everything they've been through. The fact that they have played predominantly pretty good teams. Like, Boston yep. has feasted on Baltimore and Detroit. The Yankees yep. have played the Orioles and Tigers 10 times. The Jays, by Thursday evening, will have played 25 of 36 games on the road and mm-hmm. none against truly awful teams, unless Kansas City is regressing to some kind of mean of late. But but they were pretty good when the Jays went there. I, I, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, um, you know, you're going to give Pearson a bit of a run. You're going to give Manoa a bit of a run. Mats looks more like a four-five to me. In a perfect world, they might have to dip into the trade market here between now and July 31, and that'll probably be, come later because yeah. most teams aren't ready to make trades yet.
0: Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not. You're not making a trade in the next few weeks. I, I don't think. I, I mean, l- listen, Detroit knows they're not going to be in it. Are they going to put Matt Boyd on the market? But you'd have to give up an arm and a leg and another arm and another leg to get him in in May. So um, a great point about the schedule, I I talk about this a lot, they don't play Baltimore until June 18th. That is, I believe, their 68th game of the year. Their first 67 games, no Baltimore, no Detroit. In their last 95 games, 25 of them are against Baltimore and Detroit. To me, the whole game is keep your head above water until June 18th. Uh, and can you do that with a couple of spots in the rotation you're not too sure about? Who knows when Springer's coming back? What about Hatch and Merryweather? We don't know. Um, but if they can get to the middle of June and presumably get healthier at some point in June and beyond, then I think they've got a great chance to be a contender and make a trade in July and help them. But the, you're right about the Manoa conversation. If he does tonight what he did five days ago, six days ago, whatever it was, the conversation's only going to get louder. And that's a good problem to have. The only difference in my mind between Manoa and Pearson is Manoa has fewer professional innings, mm-hmm. which is not nothing. Uh, you know the guy's barely pitched; he's got seven appearances in affiliated baseball for a total of like 35 innings or something like that. But his confidence seems to be off the charts. He he just rolled the New York Yankees and and other teams in spring training. Um, I, I think he could help the team now, but I don't think they're going to rush him. Like. I don't think he's coming up six days from now. I I think they're going to want to see him do this at least four or five, six times at AAA before they really consider it.
2: How about Anthony Kay? I know know he's floated between the rotation and the bullpen. Do you see him kind of maybe grabbing a spot in the rotation now that, that Pearson got sent down?
0: it would be great. Um, and like you said, he's kind of bounced around. we talked about that the other day when he was pitching you know he's bounced up and down and he's bounced from bullpen to rotation. and one of the reasons is he hasn't quite pitched well enough to just grab a job and keep it. but now they need him uh, at least uh, for whatever day it is Saturday I guess it is. they need him uh, because they don't appear to have any other options that are that are evident to me anyways you know, it, it's funny. Every time I watch or do uh, an Anthony K game, I, I walk out of there saying, you know, I he he's pretty good. I like his stuff. I think it plays. But then it, you look at the line and it's like three and a third, four hits, three runs, three walks. And, and there's just too much going on. He, he'll have two or three really good innings, but in the middle somewhere, he has one really bad stretch and he gives up three or four runs. And that's not something you can do if you're going to get deep into a game and give your team a chance to win so i think he i you know charlie said he's the most likely candidate for saturday right now but they've got to hope they get enough out of the stripling and the k spots in the next you know in the interim to give them a chance to to win some of those games um and their depth is being tested here and their bullpen is being tested and and i just hope they can get through the next month Reasonably well, and that hopefully they're healthier, and the pitching staff is stronger, and Springer's back, and then they can really take off.
1: Well, and the, like last night, Dan, I'm watching, and wh- what did Robbie Ray throw? 25 pitchers or so in the first inning, and he was kind of yanking the fastball a bit. And I'm thinking to myself, and the second inning wasn't totally smooth, and I'm thinking, geez, like if the bullpen has to get 18 outs tonight. Yeah. I can't remember when the next off day is, but it's not until next week at the earliest. Like, that is not the way you want to come off an off day with all the talk about the bullpen as it is. So thank goodness Ray bounced back. And and that's part of the, the stripling day and the K-day is that you go into those days thinking, we're going to need about four or five arms just to get through the 27 outs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, with, and Ray did a great job getting through six, but Ray, Ryu and Mats, if you got six, 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 every time you're taking that. So that's three innings every game. And with Stripling and K realistically, are you going to get four, maybe five? So now you need four or five innings uh, in those games. And again, they're, they they do not have dolice They don't have Phelps. They don't have Merriweather. They're, they're They don't have Castro. They're, they're missing a lot of guys. And, and at some point, as good as a lot of the other guys have been, it, there there will be some regression to the mean. So last night, Ray getting through six was probably the biggest thing in the game, to be honest with you, because as like you said, the first inning was a little bit wobbly. But they're gonna if they have the lead tonight, they're definitely not gonna have Romano. I don't think they'll have Thornton, and I'm not sure if they'll have Chatwood. So if they get into a if Ryu goes six and they're leading tonight, you might see. Uh, Mesa and Baraki and A.J. Cole in some order trying to figure this out and get them to the finish line. You might see pyamps amps in there in a high-leverage situation. So, th- this, you know, this is what they're dealing with between the starters not giving them enough innings and the injuries in the bullpen. But they're two games over 500, having played a tough schedule, as you've said, with a ton of injuries, uh, and they deserve some credit for that. It's, it's why you can't just look at a team's record on May the whatever it is, 12th, and say, "Oh, that's a good team, and that's a bad team," because there's a lot of other stuff going on. And the Blue Jays have dealt with more than most so far.
1: Dan, we'll leave it there. Thank you for your insight. We'll talk again next Wednesday. Let's hope uh, the role keep. You know, Ryu tonight yep. could be the first time they're three games over 500 this season. It'd be like it'd be good to get an ace type start out yep. of Ryu,
0: right? It it, re- it really would. And, and I, uh, the only thing I can promise you for sure tonight. Is that I bet you at some point we have Alec Manoa's line up on a graphic during the game. That's the that's the
1: only mm-hmm. thing I know for sure. We'll be disappointed <laughs> if we're not getting updates by the half inning, Dan. No pressure though. Keep it <laughs> keep it up on your uh, other laptop there. Keep an eye yeah, on that's it. That's right. Us. That's right. Awesome right, guys, stuff as always. One. You bet. Dan Schulman, play by play voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet tonight's game on Sportsnet One, and of course uh, Jays in Atlanta seven o'clock on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan Paul in Orangeville is our texter of the day. He made our morning and wins a $200 McDonald's gift card. There's no way you can give the gift card to Jordan. He just tied that all together beautifully. And breaking news from ESPN's Adam Schefter, because at 8 o'clock tonight, it's the unveiling of the 2021 NFL schedule. NFL makes a TV production out of everything. You got to give them Kudos. Adam Schefter is reporting that the defending Super Bowl champions who always get to host the Thursday night season opener, in this case, it's Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will host, according to Adam Schefter, the Dallas Cowboys Mm -hmm. to start the NFL season. Freddie Anderson and goal for the Leafs tonight in Ottawa on a special edition of Hockey Night in Canada. Ryu pitching for the Blue Jays on Sportsnet One. Ziggy and I will break it all down tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. Good show's next. Enjoy your hump day. Food's a big part of life.